0: Up next, it's Real Talk with Rodney Hyde on RCR, Reality Check Radio.
1: What I want to achieve with RCR is conversation. And I think we have lost the art of conversation.
3: with that information, can make of it what they will. That is the mission. It's a good mission.
0: Thanks for tuning in to RCR, Reality Check Radio. If you like what you're listening to, or even if you don't agree with what you're listening to, then get in touch with us now. You can text us with your message to 2057, that's 2057. Or if you'd rather email us, you can at inbox at realitycheck.radio. We would love to hear from you, so get in touch with us now.
1: Good morning, everyone. You're on Reality Check Radio. It's Real Talk with Rodney Hyde. Thank you so much for having me along for the morning. It's uh, lovely to be with you. We've got a great show lined up. We're starting off, it's 50 years this year since the domestic purposes benefit was introduced. And so we'll be talking to DPB researcher Lindsay Mitchell about those 50 years and the changes that have occurred because of it or in tandem with it or in concert with it, the, the changes in society that we've seen with the DPB, marriage, raising of children. Uh, we'll be talking to Link Teal. Oh, this is interesting. We're going to be talking about CB radios, which I've always had a fascination, and I've always sort of liked the idea of being the rubber duck and talking on a CB radio. Uh, he's going to talk about this and how we can use it in emergencies and how we can um, add CB radios to our preparedness for untoward events such as flooding and earthquakes and what have you. Also, along, I'm so looking forward to this Taki Peters, Taki Taki Peters. Apologies, Take Peters. He's going to be telling us about how he spends his time stopping food waste or reducing food waste and feeding people and what it's meant for him and for others. Remember, you can send me a text 2057, email me, inbox at And again, thank you for having me along as a part of your day.
0: This is Real Talk with Rodney Hyde. Tuesdays and Thursdays from 10 a.m.
3: The greatest threat to our democracy and our country is the belief that someone else will save it. RCR is on a mission to revive Honest Media, and now you too can help make that happen. Introducing the Foundation Members Club, the easiest way to support RCR and be rewarded for doing so. Receive exclusive benefits only for members, including your very own backstage pass to join the hosts for interactive behind-the-scenes discussions, and also our all-new daily curated news summary, RCR Bytes, delivered to your email inbox every
1: morning, keeping you on the pulse of the news that matters in just a few minutes per day.
3: To find out more, visit realitycheck.radio members and see how you too can join the mission that's making a difference.
1: You're on Rally Check Radio. It's Real Talk with Rodney Hyde. Uh, 50 years this year. 50 years we've had the DPB. It's quite a milestone when you think about it. And when you think how unremarked it was when it was introduced, I think, how controversial it's been. And here we are 50 years on. And someone who's been researching the DPB and its consequences, we're joined by Lindsay Mitchell. Good morning, Lindsay.
4: Yeah, good morning, Rodney.
1: It's amazing, 50 years. It makes you feel a bit old when you can remember it coming in.
4: Half a century.
1: I know. I know.
4: And I was at high school. Well, no, I was at high school when it had been for a few years because I was sort of aware as someone getting ready to leave high school and... (laughs) go to university or get on with the rest of my life, that it was becoming known to young people, you know, that there was this option. Isn't that awful? That was only about five years after it was introduced. And
1: no one accepts in the political world on the left that the DPB has been seen as a career option for... Mostly disadvantaged young girls.
4: No, it's quite. It, it's it's surprising to me that they fail to acknowledge that there's some degree of, um, yeah, uh, it, it, choosing choosing to do this as a lifestyle option. Maybe that's a bit a bit too um, to, shows too much pre thought. But certainly, there's. I I believe um, people sort of just get in get into it. As it's it's, um, it's part of their environment mm. because they've grown up in an environment where it's quite common. And um, I mean, there is definitely research that shows that if you've grown up on welfare as a, a, a female, that the likelihood you will go on to have children, and beyond wealthy yourself is very elevated.
1: And there are entire streets where they're DPB, everyone in the street or close to it. Like it's not the exception in some communities, but the rule.
4: Yeah, I don't know if I'd go as far as saying the entire streets, but there would certainly be um, the poorer communities where probably as high as half.
1: Um, Amazing. Tell half me, of the,
4: half of the uh, children have mothers on the DPB I, I don't know, but um, that shows
1: you—that shows you that I was a politician because I'm giving to hyperbole. Half becomes <laughs> everyone.
4: Well, no, I don't know, though, Rodney. I haven't—I haven't walked <laughs> haven't down the street, but your common sense—common sense tells you that in the um, most deprived neighbourhoods, it would be very common. The the,
1: the the tom sold you know tom soul's great quote about this um he said to rich people he said how would you like it if i offered your teenage 14 year old teenager a hundred thousand a year if you had a baby and they say that would be terrible if you did that and he says yes but that's what you're doing effectively to young black girls It's not a hundred thousand, but to them, it's like a hundred thousand if you're rich. And it's the the very concept of how they would react sharply. If you're well off, you can't imagine having a baby for whatever the DPB is, but you could imagine having a baby for a hundred thousand a year. It's just your Hmm. relative expectations of your income, isn't it?
4: Well, I mean, realistically, um, the, the benefit, um, the VPB, that is now called the sole parent support, is at a level which easily uh, matches the income you would get from, I don't know, um, if you worked in retail. Yes. Um, you know, low skill, unqualified work, um, the VPB easily matches.
1: Mm. Take us back 50 years, Lindsay, to you being at high school. Take us back to before the dpb and what was happening socially and tell us about its introduction
4: well it's one of those you know you know it's a, it's a, a, a chicken and egg i described it as a chicken and egg scenario people's behavior was changing throughout the 50s and the 60s um, people were becoming more liberal um, for sure, they were um, young people, in particular, as you will know, were kicking against some of the social constraints that their own parents had had conformed to. Um, the, the rates of ex nuptial or out of marriage births were, were rising, um, and and people were were not accepting the confines of, of marriage, you know till death do us part, if they weren't happy. Um, they were protesting for, for easier divorce laws and so on. So society was changing. And as I point out in, in the essay that governments do rightly um, respond to demand for legislative changes as society changes. But sometimes that response in and of itself Accelerates the change. Mm. Um, And I still maintain, broadly speaking, that we would never have seen the levels of single parenthood if we hadn't subsidized it. Mm.
1: Well, that's almost common sense, isn't it? Uh,
4: Well, yes. You know, governments get what they pay for. Yes. And Um,
1: we were having increasing ex-nuptial births, births out of marriage. We were having more mothers keeping their children rather than putting them out for adoption. There was a growing loss of stigma about having a child out of wedlock. Mm. And at the same time, there was increasing divorce rates and divorce being made easier. Yeah. Because there's two ways for a woman, for a mother to end up on the DPB. One is to have a child without getting married. And the other one is to have a divorce or separation from your husband or partner.
5: Yeah.
1: Yeah. And and all, all these things were happening. And at the same time, governments lowered the cost of divorce Less stigma to having a relationship and children outside of marriage, and subsidised motherhood out of out of having children without having a husband. So the whole thing accelerated. What were the numbers back then, Lindsay? Well, in the um, in nineteen
4: sixty eight, a what was called an emergency. Uh, domestic purposes benefit was introduced. And that was still, um, uh, could only be granted at the discretion of the people who worked at social welfare as it was then. Um, that was 68. By 1973, there were around six or seven thousand people on that benefit. And, um, and the need was, you know, ex- accelerating the demand was growing and um, <coughs> it's a bit of a myth that it was the Labor government, well, it was the Labor government that introduced the, um, the statutory domestic purposes benefit in 1973, which meant that somebody was entitled as of right. There was no discretion involved it. <coughs> but the national government that had, the outgoing national government, um, had a members private members bill um in the offing by an MP called Lance Adam Schneider. Um, so they were they were on board to introduce their own um, form of statutory entitlement but they lost that election and, and Labour came in uh, and they they did that and um it came into being on November 14,
1: 1973. So
4: 50 just, years ago. Yeah. And- Back and at that point, so that point, yes, six or seven thousand
1: people. And then what did it rise to?
4: Well, it just kept growing right through the 70s, 80s, and 90s. Um, at at its peak, um, sometime during the 90s, around about 114,000. Um, I mean, there was quite a lot of alarm. Sorry,
1: sorry, you carry on.
4: There was quite a lot of alarm even by the late 70s, the late 1970s, because they had an inquiry then and um, tried to tighten up on the eligibility criteria, um, introduced things like, you know, you'd have to go to uh, marriage guidance counselling before you could qualify. Um, but but nothing nothing that was introduced made any difference. The numbers just kept going up. Um by the 90s you'll remember we had that terrible recession in the early 90s where unemployment hit 11 percent um I mean young people these days have got no idea what 11 unemployment looks like um so that that exacerbated the situation because um <coughs> there was then this sort of behavioral response and then and, and, and it's been documented by None other than someone like Jane Jane Kelsey, who's quite quite a left-wing writer who um talked about how couples then made pragmatic decisions to split up so that they would both be entitled to a benefit. um the female obviously the DPB and the male and unemployment benefit so that they would have more income. I mean that split up um and then there's the um, so that, that sort of pushed the numbers along as well. So, right, you know, it, it went as high as about 114,000. And, um, I've, thereafter, you know, it's come down a little bit. It's very hard at the moment to tell exactly how many people are on a benefit because they fiddled around with the name and the, you know, the qualification, the, the qualifying conditions. For instance, now you can only be on the sole parent support until your youngest child is fourteen, and so then you you, you just transfer it onto a job seeker benefit, but you don't appear there in in those numbers. But at the moment, there are over a hundred thousand sole parents on welfare, just to bring you up to date. Hundred thousand. Mm, at the moment, they're not what, all on the sole parent benefit, but but overall benefits. What what
1: has been in the data that you look at, what is the consequence of sole parenthood for children?
4: Do we See, know? that's a big question. It's a big question. Um, I mean, looking on the bright side, for, uh, for some children, it, it, it's better for them to be with just their mother. If they've got a father who... You know, really just, is, is you know, for instance, um, a, a lot of people on the this, sole this uh, parent benefit have husbands who are incarcerated. Um, so if, if it's, if, if they have a father who they're better off away from, who's disruptive and so on, violent, it, it, it's better for them to, to, to probably be with their mother. Having said that, it is then best if she stays by herself and if she, has stability and provides for them and makes them her priority. Um, then in, in that case, it may be better for the child. Okay. But in general, it's not a good thing for a child to be raised without their biological father. It's just not. And, and been, there's been so much evidence, um, in terms of their outcomes, in terms of, um, their educational outcomes um their social outcomes in terms of mental health um whether or not they go on themselves to be dependent on welfare uh you know it's the in america um they pretty much you know they're they're, they're sort of a more conservative nation than we are and even on the left, we call, actually, the, the, the Democrats are, are more like, you know, our national party, and they're the left party. They accept, they accept that married, two-parent families, science shows, that is the best environment for children. And yet we just, we, we fail to take that line in this country, and I don't know why.
1: We're blind to it. Are we, are we anxious not to be judgmental?
4: Oh, for sure. Yeah, yes, we are. Um, I, I, I'm. I, I'm not absolutely sure, Rodney, but we, we we have a very strong feminist streak in this country, mm. um, which finds for the woman, and the woman is generally right. Um, um, for instance, when I talk about um, how we sort of turned our back on adoption, and, and we turned our back on adoption because the feminists lobbied against it because they believed that a child should always, without exception, stay with its biological mother. Well, don't worry about the biological father. Stay with the biological mother. You know, um, it's an article of faith. And yet we know that there are mothers who... Aren't up for parenting. Um, they have problems in their lives which make them unfit for parenting. But it's, it's like we can't say that we have to fix the parent, fix the parent, um, and it, and that doesn't necessarily work. When you were a young woman, you would have been a feminist, I'm sure. Only for a short time. Oh really? Yeah. Oh yeah.
1: And why yeah. did
4: you, what happened? Um, So about, I think I was 18, 19, I'd left home and I was living with my boyfriend. I was very modern Um, and I was reading books like the Marilyn French books Um, and I I found myself starting to find fault with my partner constantly (laughs) (laughs) Uh, and I thought... Uh, after I'd read this book, I thought hey I can't I can't carry on like this you know I'm seeing him through a totally different lens and looking for all of the problems that I'm supposed to find and then, and it just didn't work for me uh, so I thought well, I'll flag that
1: interesting interesting
4: um and
1: when the DPB came in, was it controversial?
4: no not at all I um. went through the whole process of searching through the microfiche um, files at the Wellington Library, the gorgeous Wellington Library, before they closed it. Um, I knew thereabouts when it would be, and I think within a month I managed to find it just by going, you know, going through all the pages that were on film. And it was like two weeks after the event and on page 18, and it just had a little headline like uh, Or sole parents, including sole fathers, and appeal court, or something like that. But it was just totally unremarkable.
1: And it was just like a an evolutionary process, and yet, in hindsight, it was a significant shift in the expectations that we have of families, mothers, fathers, children. Uh, being in a financial position to look after your children before you have them, um, and I would hazard a guess a level of irresponsibility about having children in the sense that mm. you didn't have to be have the financial wherewithal to provide for them before you had them.
4: Well, it's, a lot of, a lot of people will always take the path of least resistance. That's mm. human nature. Mm.
1: Um, there's been a shift too, hasn't there, where we are the generation, the boomers, who were all about me. And Mm -hmm. I look back on my mother and father, and if you'd said to them, are you happy, mum? She'd look at you and think you were insane. Because it's not a question that she would ask of herself. Because... She was married with children and had a job to do. And it would never occur to her to say, "Oh, I think I'd be happier if I kicked Dad out." Or <laughs> I left or I picked up with Bob down the road. It wasn't part of her thinking. It was I'm a wife and a, and a, and a mother. and likewise with my dad, you worked, you provided for your family, and you were a husband and a father. And they were heavy responsibilities that you took seriously. And you put that ahead of yourself. And I compare myself to them. And I was growing up always thinking what suited me. If you know what I mean. And you suddenly realize you find yourself talking to people and you're thinking, oh, look, I'm not very happy in my marriage. You know, I'm not very happy with Sam. I'm not very happy with Diane. Um, I think it's best for the children we split. <laughs> and <that just> was, <laughs> it was just never a thought to my parents' generation.
4: But you know that that sort of um I think it's I think it'd be better for the kids if we split up. You know, um <laughs> it's quite comical, isn't it, really? It is comical. Um, transposing your desires onto what'll be good for somebody else. Because um it 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 isn't it isn't good for children when parents split up um unless their parents are you know it, 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 you know on the point of strangling each other mm. um children uh take a lot take it to heart you know they blame themselves for the fact that their parents split up you know what did i do wrong why did yes. dad go what have i done wrong you know it's yeah. terrible um
1: and it must be very hard if a new man comes on the scene,
4: oh, very much so, um, and which is probably why a lot of second um, marriages fail when there are children, because of, there are so many torn loyalties, and um, you know, it it, it's, it it is it is very very difficult to try and replace a biological father from a man's point of view. Mm. For the children, they have had a period of having their mother to themselves and then they've got to share her again. Um, the mother might have been unhappy and suddenly she's happy again and again the children go, well, why didn't I make her happy? How come he makes her happy and I didn't make her happy? You know, we 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 don't give children enough credit for how they see and feel the world.
1: Mm. And then the new partner can resent the children?
4: Yep, the new partner can resent the children. Um in the case of, of a very of a very young child. I mean we've seen what what can result there.
1: Hmm. I mean Well, it's of, hard enough. It's hard enough to keep you cool with your own children at times. <laughs> 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 so goodness knows. Uh with someone else, and of course, different attitudes of parenting. Oh my goodness. So if we look over, it's been 50 years. Um started off seven thousand grew to 100,000 it had a huge effect in hindsight along with everything else that was happening concurrently with the role of men in society Mm. because when you see young men now on the one hand it's quite cool because they can have lots of girlfriends but very hard for them oftentimes to settle down with the family and have that responsibility and that pride that comes from being the breadwinner and the father.
5: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm.
1: And there must be a lot of men, well, we know there are at a loose end in society, unhooked. Because they aren't settled down as they were in previous generations. Because for every sole mum, there's a dad somewhere,
5: mm.
1: not hooked
4: up, mm. Mm. and quite often completely separated from the child. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, we, we, it's just it's it's difficult, isn't it? Because we go back to that time when um these sort of societal expectations could seem quite oppressive. Yes.
5: Um
4: that you know and, and you know like if you if you heaven forbid if you got your girlfriend pregnant you were damn damn well gonna marry her. Oh um,
1: yes there's a shotgun for that reason.
4: Yeah yeah um and yet we've gone from that which I don't think is a good a good situation to Having to, to a, 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 place in time where, you know, you have no obligations mm. to, to, to each other. Um, I, I think that is why I, I think that people, that is why people do still get married, Rodney, because they, they, they desperately want some sort of old fashioned commitment. Yes, and something I, to say. Sorry, I
1: I have gone a hundred, you know, degrees, hundred eighty degrees on this. I remember being a teenager and in my early twenties and thinking, poo pooing marriage. Anyone that criticised the D.P.B. was a meanie and just an old fashioned dinosaur that should die out, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. that this whole welfare and looking after young mothers and allowing easy divorce was the measure of a civilised society.
4: Yeah, the price we we were prepared to pay.
1: Yes, and I never, ever, ever, and this is the amazing frame, looked at it from the child's point of view. I never said to myself, well, I was thinking about what it meant for me and my cohort, I never thought about what it means for a little baby being born or a little toddler or a little kid at primary school or a kid at high school.
5: Mm-hmm.
1: And, and of
5: course,
1: we've all had these experiences. No one's escaped the trauma unless they're very fortunate of marital breakups and the rest of it. So it's not like we're having had to go on a benefit or still being on a benefit. It's, it's part of our life and mm-hmm. part of our society. So it's not like we're sitting there and poo-pooing anything. It's just a fact to discuss that um we didn't take into account that the whole point of marriage, the whole point of that stability is the next generation. It's not about your happiness.
4: Mm-hmm. You
5: know, um...
4: oh, I I'm, I'm in total agreement with you. And and we we've, we've seemed to have gone away from what is natural. I this may sound a little silly, but um I, I, my my um my guilty pleasure is golf and I go to the golf course and part of the reason I really like it there is because there is so much bird life. And at the moment we've got the paradise ducks and the plovers with their chicks. And I watched the Paradise Ducks and the male ducks protecting the ducklings from the magpies. You know, and I think this is this is natural.
1: It's this the is way what it is.
4: It, it's the way it is. Yes. You know, we're not we we are the same. We are part of nature. And we were meant to procreate together and protect and raise our children together. Um, but you know, people far cleverer than me have decided, well, that's not the case at all, and it really you know, a child, a child can be brought up in any environment as long as they're loved, you know, it doesn't mm. matter what the shape form and, and whether they there are people coming and going or whether you know they have to keep shifting houses or whatever, they'll be all right as long as they're loved, you know, and it's just high in the sky.
1: And there's no confusion about the role of the Drake and the Duck. <laughs>
4: not the it? ones I not the ones I've observed.
1: <laughs> Lindsay, <laughs> thank you. That's 50 years of the DPB. It's an an auspicious year when you reflect on it, because it's just a part of the transformation of society, but it's been a significant one, and isn't it remarkable that it is, as Lindsay explains, it came in sort of in an evolutionary way, not a big drama, um, and yet fundamentally changed attitudes, societal expectations, the role of men and women, how we look after kids, how we think about kids, how we think about marriage, how we think about families, 50 years this year, my goodness. You're on Reality Check Radio. It's Real Talk with Rodney Hyde. Please send me a text, 2057. Email me, inbox at Reality Check Radio. I love your thoughts on 50 years of the DPB. And I wonder what New Zealand would be like if we hadn't introduced it. And I wonder if we'll ever move away. Or if, is it even politically possible? There you go. Text me with your thoughts.
0: This is Real Talk with Rodney Hyde. Tuesdays and Thursdays from 10am.
1: You're on Radley Check Radio. It's Real Talk with Rodney Hyde. I Remember, you can send me a text at 2057, email me inbox at radleycheck.radio, and please do. Um, it's how we build the community, and it's sort of, I love it. Negative comments included now, because I'm getting stronger with my broadcasting and I've learned a lot from the critical comments. So here's the thing that we're gonna be talking about. CB radio, I thought that was sort of ham radio and that when I was a kid I always wanted a ham radio and then that had sort of become an odd hobby because we had the internet and telephones and you could ring people and Zoom them. But there's another side to CB radio and it's gonna be explained to us By Link. Good morning, Link. Good morning. Tell me, what's CB radio?
3: Well, CB stands for Citizens Band. So the original CB radio was at 27 megahertz, which is 27 million cycles per second. And that is not very often used in this country anymore because there's a new kind of what's called CB radio, but that's actually a misnomer its official name is prs or personal radio service and that's available for anyone to use without a license just like the old cb band was and still is available for anyone to use without a license now the new one that people call cb which is actually prs personal radio service that's at 477 megahertz so it's a much higher frequency but it's still not very high as far as frequencies go, and that's also a different way of modulating the voice onto the radio waves. So the two are not compatible, but both of them are still available for the public to use. And it what must I meant- have
1: been—it must have been quite an enlightened thing or forward-thinking thing—that when they were carving, whoever yeah. the government of the day were carving up the spectrum, that they made a citizens' band.
3: Yeah. I'm not quite sure who lobbied for that or how it came about, but it is a good thing, and both of those are still available, so it's quite exciting. And that is separate from the ham radio frequencies, which licensed ham radio people can use all sorts of other frequencies.
1: So a ham radio is using other frequencies, and for that you need a license? Yes. And do ham radios reach further?
3: Yes, they can.
1: Hmm. So tell us, are these two citizens' bands that are available, one's called CB, True CB, yep. and one's called PRS, are they equivalent in terms of practicality, or is one better?
3: Well, they have completely different applications. So the old CB is in what's called the HF, or the high-frequency spectrum, and it can actually go significant distances. The new PRS radios in the UHF or ultra high frequency spectrum, and it's just a small part of the UHF spectrum. They don't go as far, but they are clearer, more versatile, more compact, easier to use, and they're the most common.
5: And, and that, so, w- when I buy I those have a little
3: that I when sorry, I when I buy had those about little... a year ago.
1: Sorry, we're just getting cross purposes. I do apologise. So those little walkie-talkies that you buy from Dick Smith, they're yep. on that. Is it? They're on the PRS. Yes, they are. Okay, okay. And those little walkie-talkies, I've got some for the kids, and I mean they're good for maybe two hundred meters. That's about it, right?
3: Well, the little ones are, yeah, but you can get bigger ones that are good for longer distances.
1: Okay. So tell me about the CB radio and its its application and how you see it working.
3: So I had a vision a year ago that we could create an independent nationwide network using these channels that are freely available to the public. So the application for CB, the old true CB, Is for doing the long-range links and that can be done because there's a new type of CB radio now that has something called single sideband and because of that we can get much longer distances and then the short-range communications in each region will be done by PRS radios which have more channels available and are more versatile and with those radios you won't be talking to someone on the other side of the country. You'll be talking to people in your own area, which is what most of your primary communications need to be. You don't want to be getting interfered with by people on the other side of the country making your channel busy with communications.
5: Hmm.
1: And the purpose for this hookup?
3: Well, I have seen in my career as an industrial electrician a number of instances where things have gone off line. In 2006 there was a snowstorm came through Canterbury and I personally witnessed behind Chertsey 11 kilometres of power lines that were dropped like dominoes because of the snow loading at one end and it took over a month for them to reinstate power to that region of Canterbury. In the same event vast areas of Christchurch city were without power for around two weeks and everyone who had done the right thing the clean air initiative by putting in heat pumps instead of log burners couldn't keep warm in addition to that the cell phone towers kept going down because they couldn't keep enough generators to them to keep the power on to the cell phone towers and some of the generators and fuel were being stolen so these issues happen and then of course there was the christchurch earthquakes and there was mass disruption to communications then And then there was the Kaikoura earthquakes. And more recently in the North Island, there's been flooding in the Hawke's Bay. And people there know very well about lack of communications. And I was speaking to Paul in my local ham radio group, and he said that the HF radio, now that's the same spectrum that the CB is in, HF radio was the only thing that could communicate into the Hawke's Bay from the Blenheim Emergency Operations Center. And the Civil Defence does not support HF anymore. They've invested all of their equipment in VHF and UHF. And the only reason there are HF radios in the Emergency Operations Centre is because of the ham radio group. They've got a couple of radios there.
1: My goodness.
3: So things do go off. And when we lose communications, radio is the only thing that doesn't require a third party. This is the problem. Everything we're used to, cell phones and radios that use repeaters, those sorts of things, the the ones civil defence use, VHF and UHF require repeaters. Those things are all subject to being taken offline. Satellite phones use satellites, and they can all fail because they're relying on a third party, someone or something, to provide you a service. What I'm advocating for is point-to-point radios in a nationwide network so that when things get cut off, we still have an option.
1: And in an emergency scenario, that could be life and death.
3: Yes. There's a friend of mine that went to the Hawke's Bay, and he said that he went up some remote valleys looking for people, and he found people that were in very dire situations, and they were so grateful that he had handheld radio to call out to other people and his team up there and get help because without it, those people might not have survived.
1: And do you, so the idea is you have a a CB radio link through New Zealand. Yes. Then you have handheld radios that go to the nearest CB
3: person. Yes. Who can then
1: talk, talk, to anyone in the country?
3: Yeah, that's the idea. Yeah, so you have the
5: handheld
3: ERS that does your short-range communication, and then at least one person in your area will have a longer-range CB to talk to other areas around the country.
1: And those handheld ones, Link, how far would they reach?
3: It varies. It's such a piece of string question, I can't give definite numbers, but I can tell you from my experience that they can do is, as little as a few kilometres out to 100 kilometres, depending on circumstances, and antennas. Antennas okay. are key to getting range.
1: Okay. So you could actually carry a portable antenna with you?
3: Yes, you can. And I've developed a package through a, a local seller of radio equipment in Christchurch called Techoman, And the package I've developed gives you a handheld radio and all the antennas to go with it to maximise your range. It makes it very easy for people who don't understand radios to get the equipment that they need because they just have to buy the package and it will come with everything they need.
1: And that system that they have, uh, you take my situation, Yeah, I could have that system and I could have my kids with a little handheld radio and we could talk at least some distance. Yes. And I could do that. Obviously, people could listen in, but I could say, where are you? Is everything okay?
3: Yeah. And then I'd
1: also have the ability in an emergency situation to reach the outside world.
3: Yeah, exactly. That's the idea through a network of communications. And the little ones that you talked about available from Jcar or Dick Smith, they're generally about half a watt output. But you can buy radios. The one I'm advocating for from Tecoman is five watts output. That's the maximum output that the public is allowed to use, and then ham radio people can use greater wattages. But five watts can get you quite a decent way with the right antennas. And there's one that comes in the kit that is designed to mount on your house roof, and that can get you significant range. We've exceeded a hundred kilometres in one area with those antennas.
1: My goodness. And what about an antenna in your car?
3: Yes, there's another one in the kit which magnetically sticks to the roof of your car. The advantage of that is that if you drown your car in a river crossing or for some reason it fails, you can just stick your antenna onto the roof of another car, magnetically sticks onto it, and plug it into your handheld radio. So your handheld radio is now becoming a car radio, just like your handheld radio at home connected to the roof antenna becomes a base station radio. And when you're walking around, you can still use it as a handheld. And there's a long whip antenna, which gives it higher gain as a handheld, so that improves its range while you're carrying it around too.
1: One of the shocking things that occurs in an emergency is not knowing what is happening. Mm. And this would alleviate that, wouldn't it?
3: Yes, that's the idea, because when people get cut off, they worry. I know about this when the Kaikoura earthquake happened and the cell phone network was still there, but I couldn't get access to it because I wasn't an important customer. It was just too busy and overloaded. And I know they prioritise their customers when the network's overloaded. And so I couldn't tell if people were all right. And I know that there were lots of people that were very worried about their family, their friends and people they knew. And with radio communications, we can get messages through an alternative channel.
1: When um I was a minister when the Christchurch earthquakes hit. Yeah. And we were all in Wellington, all the ministers. And a cabinet meeting was quickly called. And like we met, you know, twice a day. And that's interesting. Was- pretty intense tell me more and we were sitting in there with the emergency systems in place in the bottom of the beehive but literally ringing people we knew in Christchurch on cell phones seeing if we could get through to find out what was happening we struggled with communication to Christchurch that is you know the New Zealand government yeah and um it shocked me because you think you know civil defense and all that it would all just be pretty flawless um but it's very hard to discover what is happening on the ground when there's an emergency and cell phone towers are knocked out or overloaded because everyone's ringing everyone up um, and of course, I'm living in Otago now, and we often have the power go. Yeah, and I am shocked how helpless you are, and how much we now take electricity for granted. Yeah, and yeah. you know, I, I, um, the power would go. And it's oh, I, I, I can't do I I I can't um work on my um. I can't work on my PC. Oh well, I'll go and make a cup of tea. Oh, I can make a cup of tea. Oh, I'll turn on the TV and find out what's happening. Oh no, TV's out. Um, I wonder what's causing this. Um, I'll I'll go online. Oh no, I can't go online. Uh oh, I haven't got a handheld radio. Um. All these things. Oh, the cell phone's not working, Um, and you and you know that's only for a few hours. Yep. And if you're apart from your family, the panic would be huge. Yeah. Yeah. So you get
3: some people.
1: So what is the expense of this link?
3: So the kit I've developed is just under $300. And for Voices for Freedom members, because we're a big organisation, we get another 10% discount, so it's very cost-effective. It's the most mm-hmm. for your buck I can find in radio equipment. It's a very good deal. And, and, and tell one me... Of these, so. One of these mm-hmm. kits it gets you connected to the greater network. Now, the long-range CBs are more expensive, but not everyone has to have that.
1: Yes, because what you're saying is that's for someone um, that's for for someone that's connecting to the outside world. Yes. With your kit, you're your several kilometres.
3: Yeah. So it can vary depending on circumstances. You could be 50, 60, 70 kilometres range, or you could be only a few kilometres in adverse terrain. And much of New Zealand has hills in the way, so we do have some challenges around New Zealand.
5: Mm.
3: In my situation, I can frequently get out 30, 40 kilometres and talk to people, no trouble.
1: Now, would they need a similar powered radio and antenna for them to talk back to you? Yes, they do, yeah. So they couldn't, I couldn't have my kids with a little half kilowatt one and be chatting to them 10 k's away.
3: Well, you mean half a watt, yeah, yes, because half, half a watt is very different. Oh, yeah, of course, yeah. sorry, half a, a half watt. half watt radio won't talk very far, but in line of sight, a half watt radio can still do about a kilometre. Okay. In fact, in perfect circumstances, it can probably push out to about three kilometres from a hilltop to a hilltop with mm. those little half watt ones, mm. but that's assuming no trees in the way, that sort of thing.
1: And, of course, if you're in trouble, uh, you can climb. And yes, increase can. your range. Um, yeah. that's actually a very good deal. And if you were in a anywhere, in a city, in a town, in a rural situation, that could be an absolute lifesaver and certainly give you some peace of mind. Yeah, exactly. So you if let's imagine this, um, I'm sitting here in Otago. I'm on the Queenstown side of the Nevis Bluff. Um, yep. I can imagine a big earthquake hitting here because they're top of mind because of the Christchurch in Kaikora. and Kaikoura. Yep. And I can imagine the road through the Nevis blocked, the road yep. over to Wanaka blocked. Yep. And at that point, unless you're prepared to, do a hair-raising four-wheel drive trip, you're blocked in. Yeah. I can imagine at the same time the power going out because of the earthquake and cell phone. So cell phone towers down.
3: Yep. So that's at that quite point, a realistic possibility.
1: At that point, you have no communication. Yeah. You know there's been an earthquake. You don't know if you've got the tail end of it and the rest of New Zealand's gone or whether you were the epicenter. Yeah. You don't know whether you can get out in your truck or whether you should s- stay put.
5: Hmm.
3: Quite a pickle without information, isn't it?
1: You could have a transistor radio. Yep um by the way the funny thing i heard about that was friends of mine have had transistor radios in emergencies and didn't know to tune them yeah you know what i mean like they've just got a transistor radio surrounded in their kit and when there's an emergency turned it on and like got static yeah Cause they haven't <laughs> got the frequency they've got. I don't even know. I wouldn't even know what a frequency, whether you try and get three YA or three ZB, I wouldn't even know what they're called these days. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um. But you could hop on your CB radio and the critical thing then is you've got a voice out.
3: Yeah, exactly. So and for CB $300 radio.
1: for $300. Yep. yep you can um, have peace of mind that you can call for help.
3: Yes, in your area. Yes.
1: Now tell me, how do you power them?
3: So they run on a battery similar to a cell phone, and the battery that comes with them will last generally as long as your cell phone lasts on its battery. So, if you're talking on it all the time, you can have it flat before the day's out. But if you're just listening and there's not much traffic on the network, not much communications on the network, then it'll probably last a couple of days. So, to charge these batteries, you normally would charge them off a mains supply. However, this radio kit comes with a USB plug to charge it and then an adapter. To give usb power from the mains so that gives you lots and lots of options when there isn't power because usb outlets are everywhere so initially you can run it from anything that has a usb outlet like your laptop or your car has usb outlets but that's essentially going to run out long term because they rely on the battery in the laptop which is charged from the mains or the battery in the car which is charged from the alternator on the motor run by fuel and When things go wrong, fuel will run out. So longer term, you can use a folding solar panel and a battery bank to charge the battery bank from the sun during the day because you don't want to be tied to a solar panel charging your radio during your precious daylight hours. When things have gone wrong, you want to be out and about with your radio doing what you need to do. So the battery bank charges during the day from the solar panel and then your radio charges from the battery bank at nighttime while you're asleep. And is that feasible? Yes, it is. I've arranged for some solar panels and battery banks to be imported for a reasonable number of people who have decided to collaborate on this. And we've got 30 watt folding solar panels and 20 amp hour battery banks. And that's sufficient to charge your radio.
1: Uh, What's the size of the solar panel?
3: The solar panel physically is about a foot wide and three feet long unfolded. It has four solar sections, but it folds up into a compact package about a foot by about just under 200 millimetres wide and about 45 millimetres thick.
1: So you orientate that to the sun. Yep. and, And it's portable. So you orientate to that to the sun. Yep. Then you have it plugged into a battery, which the solar panel charges during the day. Yep. Then at night you can charge your radio.
3: Yeah, from the battery bank. And the and battery bank. And you could do is-
1: that, you could do that for weeks and weeks and weeks.
3: Yes, indefinitely. And the battery bank is big enough that it can get a good number of charges into your radio, probably At least 10 charges into your radio from the capacity of that battery bank.
1: So, rainy days not going to knock you.
3: No, but the other thing is, being a 30 watt solar panel, even on a cloudy day, that's going to produce around about three watts. Solar panels produce about one tenth of their rated power when there's cloud and they don't have direct sun. So, three watts all day will probably be enough to charge that battery bank enough. For the amount that will go back into the radio that night so with a a genuine 30 watt solar panel not like the ones on trade me that are called 30 watt and they're actually not but a genuine 30 watt output solar panel will still produce enough on a cloudy day to be able to keep your radio going
1: and when you this is i I know nothing of this link, i'm sorry Uh, when you say a cloudy day could it be raining yes my goodness And again, is that that available to me to purchase?
3: Well, I couldn't find this decent quality one in New Zealand available. It's marketed by an American company called Nightcore and it's manufactured in China, of course. So I have personally arranged to import a, a bulk number of them for people that I know that we've all collaborated together, put our money into a pool fund, and we're importing a bulk number of them so that's quite handy there are other ones available in new zealand you can get folding solar panels from JCar, but um, this one that i've imported is very compact for its wattage output and it's dedicated to usb devices it's only got usb outlet so that'll do your radio and it'll do your cell phone if that will work if there is a network and anything else that can charge off usb
1: I found the night core store while you were talking. Um, so I'm looking at the FSP 100. That's got yeah. six panels, eight panels.
3: Yeah, The FSP 30 is the one that I'm importing.
1: FSP 30. I'd have to have a proper hunt. Um, how interesting. And that would, um, super deals. Oh well, that's why right. I did know the company. I got the Nightcore torches, which I swear oh, by. Yeah, um, their their torches are very good quality. I have to say, um, yeah, um, go to heck. I didn't know all this. I do apologise. Oh, here's the F- F- FSP thirty. It's priced here at one hundred and nineteen US.
3: Yep, does that sound right? Yep, that sounds right.
1: But you'd have to buy the battery as well.
3: Yes, you have to buy the battery as well. But
1: then you set up. Um, and if you were camping, that's your phones charged. Yeah. Yep. Okay. We so smile. so we've got this system. So have you or how long have you been involved with C B radio?
3: Well, on and off, I've been involved with radio most of my life. I had little walkie-talkies as a kid. Mm. But I spent most of my life as an industrial electrician, which you wouldn't think was involved with radio. However, while I was doing that job, we daily would use what's called RT units, which stands for radio telephone units. There was one in every vehicle, every work ute. And we were using those to communicate in the company, we had a commercial licensed channel and they would often reach well beyond the scope of cell phone coverage. And we were using those before cell phones were a common thing. In fact, when I started in that company, we didn't have cell phones, we just used the RTs. And so that was one part of my job. Another part of my job, because I worked as an industrial electrician, a lot of what I did was pumping be it irrigation pumps, town water supplies, sewerage stations, things like that. And a part of that was that most of those sites were remotely controlled and remotely monitored by what's called telemetry, which is data over radio communications. So that was a part of my job, and I had dealings with that on a regular basis. So I also, as part of my job, would use the handheld PRS radios for communicating with other tradesmen when we were commissioning or setting up irrigation systems because we would have three, four or five pumps around the farm and they all had to start and stop automatically. And sometimes that would be done with wires in the ground, other times it would be done with radio communications, telemetry, and we would commission those using PRS radios to talk to each other across the farm and make sure that they were doing what they needed to when they needed to. So I've had quite a lot of experience with using radios, but until this year, I had no qualifications in radio. And it's an interesting little story that I've told in my talks because my neighbor earlier this year was studying for his amateur radio license. It's known colloquially as ham radio. And I didn't really know this, but he came over and wanted to ask me some questions because he knew I knew knew stuff about electrical. So I answered his questions and he was surprised and said, oh, you know, you'd probably pass the test. Why don't you come to my place and do a practice exam? So I went over in the evening and did a practice exam at his place and passed that. And he said, well, I'm sitting the test tomorrow. Do you want to come along? (laughs) So I did. I passed my ham radio certificate.
1: Oh, how funny. Without any study.
3: Yeah, (laughs) So I know a bit from working with radios over my life. That's really the experience I've had. I've dealt with them most of my life in one way or another. But and recently I've dealt with them a lot more intensively. And and dealing
1: with them in, intensely and in getting into this, this is a, a consequence of recent events in New Zealand.
3: Yeah. Tell me. Well, there's been all sorts of happened that, has made a lot of people alarmed with things being cut off through events that have happened, but also with the way the government's been behaving with overreach. People are quite alarmed, and there's a number of people don't trust the government anymore.
1: Well, put me down as a big tick.
3: Yeah. And they want to know that they have an independent thing that can't be cut off by a third-party provider because a lot of these agencies that provide these services now are becoming big corporates, and we don't really know who controls them sometimes. well, there seems to be more and more bureaucracy involved. So people are getting concerned. I can
1: see this because I had the experience of watching Posey Parker come to New Zealand, Kelly J. Mm. Keane. And all she wanted to do was literally let women speak. Yeah. And she came under attack. And I can't remember the numbers, but there were a significant number of police present who did nothing. Yeah. And what I found extraordinary was the politicians in our media whipped that fury up, calling her basically Nazi-adjacent and Mm. legitimized the violence against her because, of course, it's okay to, you know, if you had the chance to assassinate Hitler, you would. Mm. And that was the way it was painted. So all that, to me, was horrific. But then I was shocked that Spark came out basically saying they what was it they were had the Rainbow Tech and if anyone was gonna they were against anyone questioning gender ideology, which is me, yeah. right? Because I think it's an insanity, and that um, and then I thought, well, I'm not going to go with Spark, <laughs> and then I started looking around. And they, all the telecommunication companies had done this. Mm. And then I thought to myself, could could are they? I mean, I just thought that a telecommunication company was there to provide a service so that I can communicate with people, and I'll pay them for the service. I couldn't imagine them taking a political stance against me yeah, as a customer and by implication saying, we don't want you texting, tweeting, emailing, talking, what they would call hate speech, which I would call common sense. So I felt vulnerable in my communications.
3: Yeah, exactly.
1: And by the way, I I never believed that Twitter and YouTube and Google and that were being censored. People were telling me this, and I thought no one would agree to that. And then you discover through the Twitter files, that's exactly what was happening. Mm. So you, you feel if this is the start, you can imagine... Um having like if they're prepared to eliminate Facebook pages because it's going against the government narrative, they're prepared to stop me communicating with you.
3: Yeah. And this is a a hypothesis for you. Yes. If they manage to bring in central bank digital currencies, for example, then If you are bound to that or stepping outside of that system then if you choose not to subscribe to central bank digital currencies then you will be unable to pay for your internet connection your spark subscription or anything else your power you'll then be denied all of these services so how do you communicate Mm.
1: Have they, has the government, and when we say they, I think we are talking about government bureaucrats, um, agents, uh, who are listening to world authorities like the UN, the WHO, um, the World Economic Forum, all the good and the worthy, with billionaires on board, sloshing their money around the media. We have seen how quickly the media have sold their souls and no longer report with even a pretense of objectivity or report the other side that they are activists in their reporting. So, that to me is who the they are. And yeah. um, they have no regard for the citizenry, you and I, and that we are. Having in our mind's eye that if we thought the control that occurred where we were locked up over COVID denied entry to our businesses and then mandated out a social life with two classes of citizen, how easy that was to achieve, that could be just a foretaste.
3: Yeah, it could. And you know, I find it very interesting what happened with the Public Interest Journalism Fund. Yes. I watched it with interest and learned a bit about what's happened there. The covenant that they, the, the contract that they have to sign, I hear that that involves clauses where they have to push certain narratives, right. which is quite alarming. And it brings to mind a saying that I heard some time ago that modern slaves are not in chains, they're in debt.
5: Yeah.
3: And this is so true with the media agencies they can't now pull out of that public interest journalism fund contract even though the fund has finished. If they then go against the narrative that that contract requires, they have to pay that money back, which will make them bankrupt.
1: That's right. That's that's absolutely right. I was shocked by all of that um, when it was explained to me. I was so shocked I actually read the contract because I couldn't believe it. Mm. Um. And as you say, if they don't if they don't promote the treaty partnership, they're in breach of their contract. yeah I also feel we're getting off the CB radio thing, but it actually relates to the significance of it. Mm. I also feel that fund will continue in some form under Mr. Luxon as Prime minister.
5: I
3: wouldn't be surprised, but you know I relate this to the same thing that we see happening, we see the same signs with the big corporates, like the agencies you talk about before, the telcos and so on, pushing the transgender thing and pushing all of these narratives. Why would they do that when all they're there for is to provide a service for communicating? Why would they then get politically involved and start dictating what you can or can't communicate through their network? There has got to be some degree of blackmail, some degree of being a slave because they're in debt to somebody over them.
1: Correct. And that is potentially institutional investment houses. Yeah. Who will say, we will invest in your company, but you have to meet these obligations because we're ethical investors, Mm. which is to say politically activist. Uh, investors, yeah. um, is the CB radio able to be taken down or
3: blocked? Yes, anything can be interfered with and blocked. However, I've often had that question at the presentations I've done around the country. And what I believe is that while they will be able to interfere with communications in a given area, They won't be able to shut us all down there's too many of us and if we all have a radio and build a nationwide radio network i doubt they would be able to shut us all down if they went as far as letting off emps which stands for electromagnetic pulse that's a weapon developed by the militaries many years ago that's designed to destroy all electronic devices in a given area within range of where the emp is let off If they reverted to that, then they could damage radios in given areas that are not protected by Faraday cages. They would also damage any of their own gear that's not protected by Faraday cages. But they wouldn't be able to shut us all down because there would be other people around the country who are far enough away that their radios still work. And there will be people who have spare radios in Faraday cages. So that when... One radio gets damaged; they can pull another one out, and carry on.
1: Isn't that extraordinary? Yeah, it's it's that movie, Enemy of the State. Do you recall it?
3: No, I don't think I've seen that.
1: Oh, oh my goodness! You got to watch it.
3: Um... Oh, the name rings bells, but I don't think I've seen it. I've seen the likes of Terminator and The Matrix and other ones, but I don't think I've seen Enemy of the State. I'll put that on my watch list.
1: Well, what's extraordinary about it, it was Will Smith, who's recently become infamous for other reasons. I've Mm -hmm. just Googled it for us, and it was, I'm going to tell you the year. Oh, I got the wrong thing. Let me go back. I've got something else. Uh, film 1998. And the idea was that I Will Smith saw a politician kill someone, and he became the enemy of the state because it was some plot that he had accidentally uncovered, right? And he goes on the run, but the government, these wild agents from within the government are able to destroy his life by um, taking his money out of his bank account, planting stories, accessing everything, following him, and he's on the run. Mm. And he ends up with uh, going to an ex-operative, and he's sitting in a Faraday cage. (laughs) And it was like this dystopian picture of the surveillance state 25 years ago.
3: Yeah.
1: And I'd just become a new MP and watched this and people who were into this stuff said, you know, that all that can be done as of now.
5: That's true. uh,
1: They were following him as on the cell phone. He was being tracked, you know, and he was finding out that they'd planted bugs everywhere and, um, Mm. He, I guess the point of it was that what you reminded me of was it was the first time I learned of what a ferrite gage was.
3: Yeah. Because so there's an
5: agency Hagman, in America
3: yes. called DARPA, which stands for Defence Advanced Research Projects Agency, and they develop military tech, frontline leading edge military technology and generally speaking and i've heard this from a number of sources anything they tell us about is at least 10 years old and stuff that is not of concern to them considered old technology yes now i've watched a number of youtube videos on what darpa can produce and it's pretty mind-blowing so what have they developed since then that they don't tell us about? I think what the public think is capable or is possible is only a drop in the bucket of what they can do. So we don't know what they can do. But what I am quite conscious of is that radio communications haven't been locked down. We can still use the CB band and the PRS band, which gives you two theories. Either they can shut it down at a moment's notice, and we don't know about that, or they don't really see that of of big consequence because nobody's really using it. And I think that's probably likely to be the case. And if Mm. we set up a nationwide network, we might then find out if we're over the target or not, if we become a threat.
1: Tell me... um... Presumably, when you're talking on a CB radio, yeah, anyone can listen in.
3: Yes, they can. It's public. Yes, um, and
1: you just have to be mindful of that.
3: That's true. But did you know that anyone can listen into your cell phone? The GCsB has capability to listen to any cell phone call if they so desire. I've spoken to three different people over the years who have worked at the Waihopo spy base, and they can't tell me details, but they can tell me that there is an algorithm that monitors all communications that they can intercept, which includes cell phones, and that picks up key words. If there are enough key words that alert the algorithm, it is marked for a person to have a look at, and that person then evaluates whether it's of national security threat.
1: I'm sure that's true. I don't know that um, for for a fact, but I can't imagine a government allowing encrypted technology in where they didn't require the algorithm to break it. Yeah.
3: That's right. I don't know it for a fact either, but that's what I've heard, and I believe it to be. And, And you would
1: be contradicting your own national security interest if you think in that way. Hmm. They'd say, um, oh my goodness, you know, yes, you could bring in your encrypted cell phones and that'll stop your neighbor listening into your um, private chats. But to fight terrorism and uh, foreign threats, uh, the government needs the ability in certain circumstances to be able to uh, authorize a wiretap. Mm. Uh, which would be to break the algorithm I'm I I, I, I could I would be shocked if they couldn't mm. if you know what I mean yeah. um well, I'd, be, I'd, I'd actually be out. asking what they think they were doing um yeah. um, um so yes uh, but when you're talking on a um on a CB radio your neighbor could be listening in right
3: yes exactly so you just talk like you're in public Yes. Yeah. I read an article a few years ago, interestingly, just on the GCSB. In the local paper in marlborough here, I read an article a few years ago that said that any vehicle that had been produced since two years before that date, which I can't remember the exact date, but it would be a few years ago now. Any vehicle that had been produced within the last two years had GPS tracking, whether it was overt or covert, it still had it. And remote shutdown capability so that the GCSB or the police with authorization could shut down your vehicle.
5: Mm
3: -hmm. I found that fascinating. Uh, Yes,
1: and terrifying. So Mm. um, the US have a date. Tom Massey, Senator Tom Massey revealed this. They have a date when all car manufacturers are to have a kill switch. Yeah. And uh, the police – uh all these things have a sort of logic. Um, yeah. if you believe in the goodwill of government. If you mm. believe that government can use its power uh ill advisedly or with ill will, um, it's terrifying. And I'm in the latter camp. So yeah. that you can say, oh well, they've got the ability because if there's someone escaping or they're drunk, uh, we can just push a switch and kill that car. Um mm. Now that to me is terrifying because they could immobilize all the cars in the South Island, presumably.
3: Yeah. All the modern ones.
1: Yeah. And um I had an old banger that I kept and kept and kept. And I just for, for that reason, but I just mm-hmm. sold it because it was, you know, a collector's item and I felt I wasn't looking after it. But I noticed yeah. with my truck that I bought that's sort of three years old the thing can end up driving you nuts because I hook up, you know, to the battery to charge and then it's all carefully, electronically monitoring everything and it just shuts the battery off because it says you've had enough and um, I'm charging my phone or something and I have to start the engine and you think, nah, it's got plenty. I'd jumpstart it if I need to or whatever, I'll I'll, I'll give it a shock. Um, So these cars aren't necessarily reliable in an emergency situation.
3: Well, it's interesting because a friend of mine in my local area told me about someone he knew that had a Volkswagen Touareg and it was just out of warranty and he went to replace the battery because it was getting tired. So he went to Repco, got another battery, put it in, and the thing wouldn't start. So he rang up the Volkswagen agent. And they said, oh, we'll send a truck out and bring it into the yard. So they brought it into the yard and they gave him a call back and, and said, oh, I'm sorry, sir, but the five computers in your car have lost their programming and we're going to have to fly a, a technician in from overseas to reprogram the five computers and the airfares are going to cost $2,500 plus his time to, to reprogram it. You must have changed the battery or something. And he said, well, yes, I did, but I didn't think that that would be a problem. And it turns out that it has a bus system with volatile programming in the computers. So if it loses power, they all lose their programming. To me, that's backwards technology. Yes. But um, it means
1: that you can't DIY your car. Yeah. And, um, again, there's good reasons for that and there's bad reasons for that, and we tend to fear the worst. Mm. Um. And well, that's when you start to feel extremely vulnerable.
5: Yeah,
3: that's right. A lot of these things we see implemented are advertised for our safety. Yes. And yes, they can be for our safety, but inadvertently they can be for our control as well Yes, as our safety. Yes. Um, and you know, the old saying is that tyranny preaches tolerance until it has control. And yes. that's what it need. Yes.
1: No, I, I concur heartily. And I mean, we were, make it personal, hmm. I was put under house arrest. Wow. No, in COVID.
3: Yeah. Oh, yeah. Just,
1: yeah. Um, and allowed an hour out or some stupid thing yeah. to go to the supermarket and go for a walk for my health. Yeah, and for the health of those around me, and no one better than I. Funnily enough, when that happened, I knew it was illegal, and or unlawful would be a better word of phrasing it because I'd been an MP, and for some reason, as an MP, you get to understand the architecture of legislation. Oh yeah, and uh, I'm not a lawyer. But I knew that you couldn't under the Health Act. I knew it would be impossible to lock everyone up. So I Mm -hmm. ended up sitting at home reading it. And what they clearly can do, or under the old Act, was lock you up for quarantine purposes. And the envisaged um, purpose since time immemorial was a ship comes in carrying a nasty disease like the plague. Yeah. And um, the health authorities can condemn that ship and not let you set foot off it. Mm -hmm. And that makes sense, right? Yeah. No one envisaged ever locking healthy people up. Yeah. And if you think about it from a normal political government point of view it would be such a big deal that you can't imagine slipping that into legislation and mm. so when they did the um, lockdowns they were they had to rush through emergency legislation subsequent to the lockdown because they didn't have the authority to do it of course now they've got the power and each time these things happen they get more power And those of us who are warning against this um, power and how it could be misused just get shouted down by the fear that gets created. Yeah. Um, And again, that's why um, you sort of want an old banger sitting in the corner of your section that doesn't have one piece of electronics in it.
3: Yeah. Well, I have only old cars, and that's... Partly because I can't afford a fancy modern car, I live on a very low income, but it's also because I believe that the older cars will keep going when modern cars have all these electronic issues. I've got an old Range Rover here, for example, that I bought for the engine out of it. There was nothing physically wrong with it. It was written off from electrical faults.
1: Yeah. And, And of course, you're good at that. Hmm. Plus, the other thing about an old car, I had a 1991 Mercedes and I could do everything on it. So, yeah. when it conked out, I could fix it, you know. And yeah. because I'd spent a lot of time under the bonnet, I knew what to do. I've now got a modern car. Yeah. I wouldn't I open the bonnet and don't know what I'm looking at.
5: Hmm.
1: And so, like you a- feel totally disempowered. Hmm. Um, and so, what you need? I need like a Mad Max old car with a CB radio attached to it.
3: Yeah, yeah. If there's more um, people are going that way. They recognise that this is not necessarily a good path that society's walking down.
1: No, and and we have experienced earthquakes and floods. Yeah. And um, you want to be in, a, in, a, in, a, in an ability. So, not just, it's not just necessarily falling foul of the government. It's that you have this infrastructure that, uh, in the course of a generation, my parents started life without electricity, running yeah. water, or sewage. Yeah. And they regarded electricity and water coming down the street in a pipe and uh, a sewage system as a luxury
5: yeah do you and know if, if you
1: turned it all off sorry
3: do you know where the word electrician came from no i got told fairly recently that it was an amalgamation of electricity and magician because ah. people didn't understand it and they thought it was some kind of black magic
1: Yes, of course, it would appear. I mean, we take it for granted. But if you'd never seen it, you'd be astonished. Yeah. And and we now, a generation on from my parents' time, so my mum and dad got married, I think, in 48, 1948. Yeah. Um, A generation on, or two generations on, we regard... Electricity and telecommunications and cell phones and all the rest of it as essential Hmm. deprive us of it and we starve. Yeah, but we can't go without a fridge. You know, my mum and dad never had a fridge. Yeah, they'd have a safe and they'd know how to keep meat and stuff. I don't know how I wouldn't know how to do it myself. Um and so we've become utterly dependent on this infrastructure which is very vulnerable. And it strikes right. me, it strikes me as what's the word, creaking?
3: It does. And it's quite interesting the way this has happened because it's it's an infrastructure that we've become dependent on forgetting our old ways. And if you look, for example, at shipping or at airline pilots, they are relying on GPS electronics most of the time. Now, that's very reliable, and it hardly ever fails. But it does sometimes. And when it does, those ship captains need to know the old ways. They need to know how to navigate by the stars and things Mm -hmm. like that. And naive Captains that don't know these old methods, they can get in big trouble when the technology fails them. And this has sometimes happened in modern times. Those who forget their history are doomed to repeat it.
1: So, yes, and and you can be an airline pilot, and I'm trying to think there was, I I read an account of this, where an airline pilot ended up navigating by the stars. Yeah. Because the systems failed. And um, and as you say, you could be you could be um, driving a cruise ship or a container ship, and end up wanting to navigate like Captain Cook.
3: Mm. Yeah, uh, it, it, it
1: it it is. Um, you don't want to end up like a friend of mine who's so far he went through the Christchurch earthquakes and he's so far down protecting himself that sort of. He'll hardly move for his his bags of gear ready for the next earthquake or emergency no. um yeah. and he's almost paralyzed uh by it but that said um it's well to look at your situation and think what would I need to get through a few days if everything shut down or a few weeks if everything shut yeah. down because it could
3: yeah it's a case of keeping everything in moderation, of course, and in all respects, we should be prepared. But well, yeah, if you're overly worried and overly prepared, you actually hamstring yourself.
1: Yes, yes. Um, by the way, I spoke to a great prepper on the show, and his name escapes me at the moment, but it was fantastic. And he was very basic, and yeah. you know the levels that you needed. Yeah, and um, I'd had a lady on the show. And she lived rurally, and what shocked them was um, they had their own well, but when the earthquake hit, they couldn't access the water. Right. Because it was an electric pump. Yeah. And um, as I understand it, they couldn't even get a bucket down there. And because they had their own well, it never occurred to them to have drinking water stored. Hmm. And then the other thing about this uh, fellow who went through the Kaikoura earthquakes, he said what what got him was he said he had a pretty good preparation at home. But when the earthquake hit, he was in his car yeah. and he couldn't get home. And he said he had no food or water and inadequate poor footwear to walk home. Mm. And it's little things like that that you think, oh, yeah, I've got all my gear, uh, I'm at home, and here I am with my kids 10 miles from home. There's been an earthquake, uh, and we've got to walk it. It's mm. all sorts of – it's all and, again, a CB radio in your car would take care of that.
3: It would. And, you know, gear is one thing, and that's very important, but there's another aspect too that comes to mind with what you're talking about. My granddad died before I was born, but my mum tells me that he used to tell her learn anything she could from anyone willing to teach her because it's no load to carry around with you. Oh, and, you know, great. knowledge, knowledge is power. If that's you bad. have the knowledge, you can improvise and you can make do with what's around you. There's
1: also a required attitude and a resilience. And so we know in your grandfather's day, they had a do-it-yourself attitude and they were extremely resilient they're not going to burst into tears if they miss their cappuccino. Yeah, exactly. And, and you sort of feel nowadays that, you know, we die if I didn't get my cappuccino um, mm. or we don't have that resilience where um, I'm 10Ks from home, I'm going to have to walk it. Um, um, whereas they'd walk 10Ks to a dance. Yeah, yeah,
5: they um, did. Um,
1: so we we there's a whole... I mean, you deprive your kid of their cell phone and they go catatonic. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, it's very interesting. How do we how do we learn and how do we get a hold of these CB radios that you have in this kit?
3: Well, Voices for Freedom have put out in their channels uh, the information that mm-hmm. you need. However, if those that are listening are not involved with Voices for Freedom, you can go to tecoman.co.nz not to be confused with Man, it's techoman.co.nz. And on that site, you look for the search icon, you click on that, and you enter T for Trevor, M for Mary, 9001 slash 5M for Mary.
1: Hang on, That's hang cool. on. I'm on Techoman, Electronics Limited, www.techoman.co.nz. Yeah. I'm there. Is this your site?
3: No, it's not. I have nothing to do with this other than that I've approached the owner of that site and arranged for this kit set because okay. what I found was I was directing people to what they should buy. But when people don't understand radios like I do, they got lost trying to okay. figure out if they were buying the right stuff. So I so put I, together this kit set.
1: Got it. I'm in Techoman Man now. Now yep. what do I type in the search?
3: In the search, put in T for Trevor. M for Mary, 9001 forward slash.
1: Hang on, hang on. 9001.
3: Yeah. Forward forward slash.
1: slash. I'm trying to find yeah, i got my forward slash. Is that a backslash
3: or a forward slash? Forward slash is uh, to the right at the top and to the left at the bottom of it. Okay. I was doing the backslash. Forward slash. Yeah. Forward slash five. M for Mary.
1: We're going to have to put this in the link.
3: Yeah, and tm nine zero zero one slash five m. That will get you to the page of the standard kit. And this is something I developed with the owner of Tickerman, oh, probably a month or two ago, so that it would make it easy for people to buy the right equipment. Then you don't have to understand about radio equipment and you don't have to understand what's the correct thing to buy. You just have to understand where to go and what code to use and you buy it.
1: I'm in TM9001 backslash 5M.
3: Forward slash 5M, yep.
1: Yeah, forward slash, sorry. And then I can see when I click down from this, there are two products. There's a Bufang UV-81C, is that it? That's the one. And there is a, another one that's a bit dearer, 15 meter, oh, all right, longer cable.
3: That gives you a longer cable on the antenna roof. I was going to get to that in a minute, but I didn't want to confuse the situation. So there's the Slash 5M that gives you five meters on the rooftop antenna plus Yeah, plus one meter of adapter cable, so you actually get six meters total. And that's enough for most houses. Now, if you've got a two-story house and you need your radio to be on the bottom story, then you can buy the kit, with the suffix slash 10m and that will give you 10 meters on the rooftop antenna however you'll lose more signal across the extra cable how much signal around about 1 db for every 5 meters so the rooftop antenna has a gain of 5.5 dbi that stands for decibels radiated power now, with the 10-metre cable, that's going to reduce to something within the order of 4.5 dBi. So you'd have to benefit from that extra cable. Otherwise, you try and keep it as short as possible.
1: Okay. So I'm in the kit. It looks very reasonable to me. It's $300, $299. Yeah. I get the kit, the microphone, the antenna, and it looks like a second antenna, is it? Oh, a mobile yes. A mobile, that's the mobile antenna, is
3: it? Yeah, that's right. So you get the standard antenna with the handset, which will do 5 to 10 kilometres. You get the long-range whip antenna, which is twice the length, and that'll do 10 to 15 kilometres without any significant obstacles. And then you also get the car roof antenna, which will get you improved range again, and then the house roof antenna, which will get you improved range on top of that again, for a number of reasons because the house roof antenna is higher to start with, which can gain you better line of sight. So I would get that, I put it on
1: my roof, and I sit there and turn it on, and I push the button, I say, hello, hello, is anyone there? Yeah. What do I do?
3: So what you need to do when you get a radio is contact other people in your area, that you know of with radios and if you don't know of anyone else with radios then what you can do is you can put your radio into scan mode and that will scan all 80 channels on the prs network looking for somebody talking and when it finds somebody it will stop on that channel it'll tell you what channel it's on and it will play what they're saying it'll put it out the speaker and if you want to stay on that channel you can either push the the scan button again to stop it scanning or you can start talking on that channel and when you activate the push to talk button that will stop it scanning and or stay on that channel right. and then you can talk to whoever it is
1: and of course in times of emergency anyone with one of these is going to be on it yeah exactly well that's a very reasonable deal
3: link yeah yeah, I thought so. It doesn't get sharper than that. And the advantage is, buying from man he has made sure that these radios are what's called type approved. He has tested them for spurious emissions and things like that, making sure that they comply with New Zealand broadcasting laws overseen by the radio spectrum management. Um, so you know that you're buying something that is legal to use in New Zealand and that will work on the New Zealand channels. In addition to that, Teco Man writes his own instructions for the radio in English, so you're not trying to read Chinglish.
1: (laughs) You've got no idea what that means. (laughs) How many hours late at night have we been putting a kid's toy together (laughs) and thinking it can't be this hard?
3: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yep. wow. So it's of great benefit to have English instructions written by a New Zealand radio technician.
1: Well, it looks a very, very cool kit. And yeah. um, I'm going to talk to my wife because I think we should put one in the car and one in the house.
3: Yeah. Um. Well, when you're buying as a couple, you can add an extra handset. There's a code for that, and you can buy a complete extra handset with the charging base, or you can just buy a bare extra handset with the kit for a very reasonable price. Under oh, I see. Yes. And then you've already you got can the
1: have... car,
3: your car antenna. Yeah. So you can have one on the car antenna and the other handset on the house roof antenna at home. So when your wife is out in the car doing the shopping, she can talk to you on the other radio connected to the house roof antenna.
1: Mm. Mm. Fantastic. Um, And tell you the chores that you're behind on. Say that again? And tell you on the chores that you need to do. Oh, yes. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Well, I have to say, I found this talk quite amazing because I didn't know. I knew what CB radio was, but I didn't quite understand its usages. But when I started to think about it and the times that we're in, we were conscious of emergencies, but we're also conscious of what can be done to us. Um, This is a very important part of any kit. I also had an appreciated link that you can hook into uh, those who have the power systems and actually get to the outside. You're not confined to line of sight.
3: Exactly. That's the thing, because these short-range radios will connect in your area, but then when we set up groups in every area and we put a key person or two with these longer-range single sideband radios, we can connect up the whole nation in a national network,
5: Mm. and
3: that's really exciting. Mm.
1: Very good. Uh, Great insight. Uh, you're on uh, reality check radio. It's been real talk with Rodney Hyde. Oh my goodness. I have learned such a lot and I got excited. I have to say, there's a wee boy in me that loves playing with things like radios. Um, So any excuse for me to buy a radio um, is a good one. Um, And Link gave me an excellent reason to get a radio. Thank you for listening. Remember, you can send me a text at 2057. You can email me inbox at uh, realitycheck.radio. If anyone's got more information about the CB radio or would like to chat about it, please send me a text uh, because I think it's a fascinating topic. Uh, Thank you so much for being here today.
0: It's all right. Thanks for tuning in to RCR, Reality Check Radio. If you like what you're listening to, or even if you don't agree with what you're listening to, then get in touch with us now. You can text us with your message to 2057, that's 2057. Or if you'd rather email us, you can at inbox at We would love to hear from you, so get in touch with us now.
1: You're on Reality Check Radio, it's a real talk with Rodney Hyde. A lot of us complain and talk about food waste. Seems to be enormous. But don't do much about it. Well, we're talking to one man who does and is, Tucker Peters. Good morning, Tucker. Good morning, Rodney. It's so lovely to have you on. How did you get into, well, how do I say this, using surplus food to feed people? Um, How
2: it was is I, uh, well, two, just, Just nearly two years ago, I had a neighbor who was a Brazilian family and they bought into a catering business. And um, a little while after that, he rang me up one day and says, look, I've got all this food that I'm throwing away. Would you like it? So I says, yeah. So, you know, like I went and saw him and he, he says, look, load up your car. So I loaded up the boot the back seat and the front passenger seat and and drove away thinking, I take it to, to my church. No, oh, I took it to my church and they went, oh, no, well, we can't ha- accept um, freshly made food. We can only have, you know, stuff like canned food and stuff like that. And I went, he said, well, I'll take this lot, uh, Rodney said, but don't do it uh, again. And I went away really disappointed after loading my car but I'd already made an arrangement with my uh, neighbor then uh, about collecting the food. So the next day, I went back to her to, to his uh, catering business, loaded up my car, uh, same amount, drove away, and I thought, well, what am I going to do with all this food? You know, it's, <laughs> it's a shame it's going to waste. So I just thought, I'm going to drive to my local shops and there's a, an Indian takeaway, a fourth a bakery, and a laundromat. I thought, I'll just park up outside it and just open up my boot and just say to people, free food. And that's how it started.
1: How amazing. Now, when you started taking the food from The catering business. What sort of food was it? Was it pastries and what? What sort of food were you? Um, No, it it
2: was like um, small containers of uh, like um, spaghetti bolognese, uh, burgers one day, uh, chicken pasta the next day. It it varied, and they were all in containers because they were like they were They were doing these these catering meals or other other things. I don't know exactly what it was. Oh, so each little...
1: Sorry, carry on. So each little container was, like, for one person? Yes, yes. It was individually packaged.
2: My goodness. Of, um, yeah. So, like, I just thought, you know, what a brilliant idea to start doing this, and I just kept going back because our... our people in our communities were actually struggling, and this was last year. And it used to take me oh, anywhere between three and four hours to offload the food. To this day, half an hour, it's gone, it's gone the same amount of food. My goodness. So, yeah, it and- just shows you, Rodney, the, uh, how with the cost of living, how how everyone's struggling now. More than what they were last year.
5: Mm.
1: Now, are you still getting the food from the one supplier from your neighbor?
2: Um, no, I'm I've now got uh four caterers on my book, so uh, there is a variety of food, and um, some of it's left over from events, so you know, like um, they'll ring me up. And say, oh, look, we've got all this uh, pasta salad, green salad, uh, sliced chicken, sliced beef, all of this. And what I do is when I get it in bulk like that, I have to put it in containers. So um, I've managed to actually uh, have some containers uh, donated to me so I'm able to uh, transport it and fill it into smaller containers so I can give it out
1: individually. When your car is full of this food, how many meals, roughly, would that be?
2: Uh, It varies from day to day, Rodney, because some days I only get, like, because I put them all in banana boxes. Yeah. So some days I might have, say, 80 meals. Some days I might have 350 to
1: 400 meals. My goodness. My goodness. Yes. Now.
2: Yeah. It, you it varies go, from you, day to day
1: you still go to the same place to hand out the free food um well um, because of
2: the because of um i found that because of my local area which is big taven um, um, northcote and bayview i can i can sort of move to those particular areas and and give them out individually to people yeah so I've, I've gone from one one place to to very well to four other place three other places. Yeah.
1: And is it the same people coming each time for food? Um,
2: not all the time. And the thing is, it's not just um, um, one particular race. It's it's a broad spectrum of of different races that come into me whether they. Indian, whether they be Asian, whether they be Maori, whether they be uh, European, it's all it's all different walks of um, our um, our New Zealand people.
1: Hmm. And are they pr- appreciative, Kaka?
2: Oh, they're so appreciative, uh, Rodney. You know, because um, I've got a little sign that I put in the, in my window in my vehicle, and it's it says on my my sign, Uh, kōha appreciated towards my fuel cost, nā mihi, when nā mihi, I don't know whether you know, that means thank you. So um, a lot of the people that actually uh, come and give kōha to me actually don't take the food because they've read a lot of my, um, um, like stuff in an interview on me, and they've all been posted all around uh, the local community pages here on the North Shore in Auckland. So I'm I'm getting people who are giving me koha and they don't need the food. So it's been really helpful in that situation. People who come to me regularly, they'll give me, you know, $5 a week towards my fuel costs because they, you know, because I'm getting elderly people in like uh, late 70s and 80s who, you know, they, they, they don't want to cook anymore because, you know, too old. Mm. I'm getting a lot of young kamariki that, that are coming to see me, Rodney.
1: Peeps. Well, it's amazing to think that without you that food would go to the dump.
2: That's exactly what would go to the landfill. Exactly what would happen to that food. It's amazing how much food... Um, people actually waste. And the reason why a lot of these catering businesses, they can't go along and, and uh, just, like, give it out to the general public because it's uh, it's something to do with, I think, if they, you know, their food grading and uh, yes, health, health and, and safety health. issues. Yes. yes, I think that plays a major part in their, you know, with their catering business. They can't do that. But, you know, like, hey, give it to me. I'll give it out. You know, I've got... I'm I'm happy to go along and feed uh, everyone in need. And and that's what I love doing because I'm retired, um, Mm Romney, and it
1: gives me a purpose in life. It could happen in every area of New Zealand. There'll be the same thing happening. There'll be food from catering companies going to waste and a good person could act as an intermediary, gather up that food like you do in their car and hand it out to those in need. Say yes, you're dead right, and it could happen. And I, wouldn't that be
2: a wonderful thing if if my ideas spread throughout the whole country, and like we end up having a a, a country where people are not suffering because the the food banks are just like getting hounded every week. Mm. And okay, that, that's it's showing you in our society how uh, how things and that the cost of living and is everything. But if we if people like myself who could go along and do that. Um, we'd have a better New Zealand for, from what so, I think anyway yes of course
1: so if, if <laughs> I was sitting in say Christchurch or Wellington or another suburb of Auckland how yeah. would I go about replicating to do what you do for um, my community the, ok so well for, for
2: any community the best thing is, is to hop on a community page Yes. and say that, um, I suppose, you know, is there any catering companies out there that want to donate uh, food to a good cause? And, of course, the thing is, it's the time, because, like, I don't get paid for it, Rodney. It's yes. all done with Aroha, you know? Yes. And that's the thing. There's no monetary value in it as far as making any money. Um, when I first started off, it was actually costing me out of my pocket for my fuel, but the community got behind me, Rodney, because my car was. I actually had, um, uh, what's that, Channel One, seven, oh, yes. seven sharp. Yes, they came and did a story on me, and then the local community, some ladies got behind me and uh, set up a, give a little page to get me a new set of wheels to carry on with my work this year. Uh,
5: how and lovely.
2: they, uh, the Give a Little page actually um, uh, got me a a, a 2010 Hyundai iX5. Uh, the Give a Little page, um, the community and the whole of uh, wider New Zealand um, donated 12,000, just over 12,000 for me. So that that's why I've carried on too, because like, I think it's really neat that I've got a community in New Zealanders that affect me.
1: Isn't it a beautiful thing when you see all the nastiness in the media and wars and kids, and then you go down to your community and people are so willing to help a stranger, help a neighbour, contribute to their community, and do something for love?
2: Well, you know, um, I'm very lucky, Rodney, with the, the community that I live in here. Um, when I started doing this food last year, uh, the community got got behind me. Um, I also got uh, headhunted by Life uh, Community Kitchens, which are based here in Auckland, and they run 12 community kitchens or 11, 11 or 12, but they head they headhunted me and asked me if I want to be involved in setting up some kitchens here on the North Shore, uh, which I helped do, and we've set up three
1: in the last uh, six months. And what are these kitchens? So, what are they called? Life kitchens. What are they called? What do life they do?
2: Community kitchen.
1: Life community
2: well, kitchens. Life community kitchens. Once a week, yeah, life community kitchens, once a week, uh, at 5.30, on uh, a monday or a tuesday we offer free meals and desserts to anyone in the community
1: my goodness and are they popular so that's a, oh
2: um they're serving so many people in our communities and it's uh it's a backing from life church are mm. uh, the ones behind it I don't know whether you you need to put yes. that on there or whatever, but no, of course we put uh, on Life Church. They are, um, yeah, Life Church are the ones that are that are right behind building better and life communities by having life kitchens, and we've got, as I said, Rodney, this uh, eleven or twelve now throughout the whole Auckland region. So it just shows you, um, you know, and they're feeding anywhere between 80 and 100 people uh, once a week.
1: Mm. Now, is that your in church? The, in, in the li- is that Sorry? your church, the Life Church, or do you go to a different church? Yes, my, yes. I just joined
2: Life Church recently. I was mm. Prior to that, I was part of the Salvation Army.
5: Mm.
1: So you've always been a person of service to your community being part of the Salvation Army? Um, basically, I,
2: um, the Salvation Army helped me through uh, a, a very dark time in my life, um, and I'm grateful for them. Uh, but um, the, as, as the years went by, my, uh, my cup wasn't getting full of the, of the Spirit. So I, I looked for another alternative, uh, Rodney. So now I'm part of Life Church. I've only joined them recently in the last few months or within the
1: last four months. So, um, so now my cup's overflowing. Isn't that wonderful? Can you share with us what the Salvation Army did for you in your dark time?
2: Um. Uh, what happened is I went through a bit of um, dark time, you know, like you know, mental health, uh, due to circumstances in my life, um, like the loss of a of a child and a couple other things. They sort of like got behind me and uh, welcomed me into their church. They welcomed me. They gave me soldiership. They gave me uh, an understanding of of a church that was community based, and they helped me bit better my life. Basically,
1: how oh, wonderful! Yes, and now here you are helping all those others.
2: Now it's it's a, it's a turnaround. But not only, they weren't the only ones. There was organizations within the mental health structure, uh, an organization called Equipped.
5: Mm.
2: They also um, stood by by me every week. They'd come and take me shopping. They would make sure I was all right. And as a result of that, Rodney, I'm now um, doing voluntary work uh, for that organization and I run a program Uh, once a month to help those, well, we call them clients, but to help those people uh, to come to a safe place and congregate, you know, to get them out of their their home environment, to get them out into the community. So I run a program for that once a a month.
1: If someone was listening who needed help...
5: Are you waking up, Ronnie?
1: If someone who was listening needed help, Tucker, how would they get in touch with Can you hear me now, Tucker? Yeah, I can hear you now. If someone who was listening was in a dark place, how would they go about yes. getting the help that you describe that you had? Where would they go? Well, you know, um, this is the thing about...
2: Um, uh, people who are struggling with uh, mental health in our communities, and I'm trying to sort of like push the boundaries with a, a lot of organisations. And uh, I'm I'm off to an, a symposium uh, later on this month. And I think a um, a lot of people who are involved in the mental health sector, they need to stop having these big. Uh, meetings and organisations where we all go there and eat big food and talk about what we're going to do instead of them going along and going out and canvassing at street level. And uh, that's what I would like to see more people who work in the industry to be at at street level instead of having these big hooys where we all eat good food and stuff. I don't know whether I'm saying the right thing here, Rodney, but it uh-huh. really irks me that they... They do this, you know that, uh, and and as a result of that, and like um, I, I'm not going to mention what organisation, but I was talking to a young lady, and it took her eight months to join an organisation to get help because nice. there's so many people. There's a there's a line of people now waiting to to join organisations so they can get the help that they need now. What's the government doing about this? Are they going to pour money, more money into the health sector? And how is the health sector going to, you know, change that? Because as a result of a person waiting eight months, well, they could take their lives in that period of time and then we lose that person, you know? This is one of the things that I'm really uh, irked about and I'm going to be bringing this up in, the, um, in our symposium about how we're we going to deal with that situation and stop having all these big hoois and meetings and everything and get to the grassroots and helping our our Rangatahi and not only that, our elderly who are struggling
1: in that in situation. You must see at street level with your providing meals. You must I get see- a lot of
2: people that actually I yes, get a lot must, of people talking to me. Think, yes. yeah.
1: You must see people who are in need and and be able to direct them, put them in the right direction.
2: No, because what happens is they, they don't know that I'm involved in, unless we sort uh, of have a, if a person sits there and, and has a, or stands there and has a bit of a, Corridor with me because, you know, this is the thing about talking to our communities. You find out, like just last week, I was talking to this lovely lady who occasionally comes and gets some food off me, and I found out that she has a son who's suffering um, with mental health issues. And uh, we ended up talking for about an hour and a quarter, and she goes, oh, I've got to go, I've got to go, and I says, hey, look, you know, I work in the sector, and she was blown away with what i knew so you know i'm slowly getting to uh talk to people and people are starting to open up because they they can talk to me because this is what i love about doing my my food is that instead of people just driving up to me and going oh can i have some of their food bro i want them to be able to get out of their car come and have a have a talk with me and you know, whether it's to talk about the weather, because. All of these things, when you communicate in your community, you actually find out, oh, I talked to this person. Oh, look, we've just had a big breakup with uh, a marriage or I'm struggling with paying my bills and everything, and your, your food is helping me struggle through this week. This is the sort of thing I'm dealing with, and I have no qualifications whatsoever, Rodney, at all.
1: Well, you do have a you qualification. Know, it's, it's, You're a human being. And, and a, and, well, and a, yeah, and and you're a good human being. That's all people need, isn't it?
2: It is. It's it's having an understanding, and I think because I've been down that tough road in life. Yes. You know, because they they say there's two roads in life. There's the hard road, and there's the good road that most people take. Well, I took that hard road in life, and. Uh, as a retiree, I've sort of gone. Well, I wish I hadn't have done that, but now I'm I'm helping, you know, because of all the all the bad things I did in my younger days. Yeah. It, it's hopefully that I can go along and mend the the good path to um to the pearly gates, as they say, Rodney. <laughs> so you haven't always been a Christian. Um, I was brought up a Christian, and it was it was drummed into me, Rodney, and I rebelled against it. I was also adopted from one family to another, and that made me think, "Why? Why did? Why did my mum give me away? Why did she adopt me out?" And that played a a major part in my rebelling as a as a young teenager, back in the you know like the early seventies. Mm. But that's all behind
1: me now, Rodney. You know,
2: isn't it wonderful, uh, Taka?
1: That is such a a a wonderful story that you found redemption, but more particularly that someone reached out, Salvation Army reached out and helped you. And once you were helped, you're now reaching out and helping others. Uh, Well, you know, because it's, I, I don't know whether it's
2: to do with your age or whatever, but maybe it's because they helped. So it's my turn to Try and help others as you're saying yes, you know, and I love it. I love helping people, you know, especially giving out the food, you know, like people come up and say, oh, I haven't got any koha for towards your food. And I say, you don't need any. My food's free. And they walk away with a smile on their faces, Rodney, and, and, you know, the, the gratitude, they just thank you. Thank you so much. You're awesome, bro. You know, and uh, can we give you a hug? And I go, yeah, or they go. Oh, can I shake your hand? And uh, and just all those things, you know. And then walking away with a smile of of happiness that they're that. Well, I'm happy that they can uh, walk away happy, and their their bellies are going to be full for that particular day.
1: You now live a very enriched life, don't you? I do.
2: I you. It is unreal that you say that I live a enriched life because of that um, that man upstairs, as I, yeah. as it says in the Bible about, you know, if you, you do good, it will rain goodness on you. And yeah. it has, Rodney, I've just, I walk around happy in comparison to, if I, I look back, you know, um, 30, 40 years ago, how my life, I thought I was a happy human being, but I wasn't. It was all, it wasn't a happy life. It was just, life as I knew in in those uh times and situations. Now I I drive along the road or I walk along the road, and I'm happy. Uh people in my community beat the horn at me, way round, go, hey, talk hey, boy," you know, and uh oh I love it. I just buzz out on and, and uh the comments I get on the yeah the, the community pages. I also have been um uh, earlier this year, I was chosen as uh, one out of 100 people for Kiwi Bank New Zealander of the Year Award. Mm. So I was a participant.
1: Good for you. This year. Yes, I was, I was well, so there proud you of uh, have receiving it. that medal. There you have it, ladies and gentlemen and listeners. There is nothing that enriches us more than helping others and looking after others. And what an amazing way to do it, that you just put a notice up in your community to caterers with food that would otherwise go to waste. And you have that extraordinary fulfillment of saving food, good food, going to the dump. You help people have a meal that otherwise might miss out. And you enrich their lives and you enrich your life, and you walk a blessed path, Tucker.
2: Oh, definitely, and I'm so grateful for that, Rodney. Um, Every day, um, I'm blessed by uh, communities, by our Lord, by everything that happens around me. It's amazing how it's just, my life has turned around and how um, things are just...
1: Amazing.
5: (laughs) Oh, you're a beautiful,
1: I can feel it, I can feel it in your voice, you're a beautiful human being, and isn't it great, you and I have come to a similar realisation that you can't be happy by taking, you can only be happy and fulfilled by giving.
2: Oh, I 100% agree with that, Rodney, that um, the more you give, the more you have. It's amazing what... uh, what uh, what receiving you you uh, gift you get back uh, from all things around you? Uh, I don't know why, but it just happens. Um, here's an incident okay um, on the local community page a, um, a business uh, contacted me through messenger, and he says to me. Uh, Tucker, I love what you do in our community. I own a tire shop. We'd like to give you a whole set of tires for your vehicle when when you need them. And then I just went, wow. So I actually went to his business, and I says, Aaron. And he comes home, and he goes, yeah. And I says, I'm Tucker Penny. He goes, oh, you're the guy. Have you come here for your tires? And I went, I just couldn't believe that you would give away a whole set of tires. That's expensive. He says, what you do for the community, Taka, is amazing.
1: So that, that just blew me away, uh, Rodney. You know, it is such a wonderful story. I'm finding myself tearing up a little bit because it shows you what a wonderful people we are at, at, a, at a one-to-one, at a community level, at a street level. And it requires someone like you, with a bit of initiative and a bit of leadership, to bring those people together. And you actually... Like, the tyre man has a better day, doesn't he? Yeah. Am I allowed to go
2: on and, and say what tyre business of it course. is? Of
5: course.
1: I'd love you
2: to. Um, okay. His name is Aaron, and he owns JP Tyres and Piranha
1: Road in Glenfield. There you, know, there you go. If you need some tyres and you're near Glenfield, what was the name of the business again, Tucker? Tucker JP tires. JP tires. There you go. Yes, there's a man that, for just the goodness of his heart, supports his community. And oh, Tucker, Tucker Peters, I can't tell you how much you have enriched our lives and given us opportunities. Just coming on our show, it's amazing. I appreciate you.
2: Yeah, and, I appreciate you um, um, Yeah,
1: well, likewise. inviting me
2: on to your journey.
1: Likewise. And what I'd like to say on behalf of every listener is bless you. And God give you strength to
2: keep
5: mm. up
1: the wonderful work that you're doing and for showing you the good path and taking you away from the bad one.
5: Mm.
2: Oh, thank you so much. Um, and bless uh, and much aroua to all the listeners uh,
1: um, that will be listening to this story. Thank you, Rodney. There you have it. That was Tucker Peters. What a guy, what a story. And what an opportunity for each of us if you have a, can find a few hours a week to put something back into your community, put a smile on people's faces, put a smile in your own heart. There's so much that we can do, and what a wonderful, wonderful man. You're on Real Talk with Rodney Hyde, RadleyCheck.radio. Send us a text, 2057. Email me, inbox at radio. Thank you for listening. That was truly wonderful.
0: Want an easier way to listen to RCR? Well, you can now download the brand new Reality Check Radio app, both on iOS and Android. We've completed our beta testing and the app is now live. You can visit the app stores direct or find out all you need to know at www.realitycheck.radio forward slash app. That's at realitycheck.radio forward slash app. Our test bunnies have been hard at play to ensure you have access to everything. From listening to our live broadcast, downloading some of our incredible interviews and checking out the latest blogs all from the very same app. So get listening and download the RCR app now. This is Real Talk with Rodney Hyde. Tuesdays and Thursdays from 10am.
1: Here on Reality Check Radio, it's Real Talk with Rodney Hyde. Remember, you can send me a text twenty fifty seven, email me inbox at reality check radio. I was browsing the TV One news webpage filling in an idle few minutes. And I came across this, and I want to share it with you. Because it's sort of indicative of where we find ourselves. This is the article. A former kindergarten teacher has called out his workplace over a, quote, lack of cultural understanding, end quote, after a senior staff member visited his centre without a power free taking place. Ruwidi Elliott worked as a kaioke I'm sure I pronounced that wrong, but that means teacher. For over a decade at the Central Kids Pua Taki Kindergarten in Kaffara, Bay of Plenty. But an issue arose when he tried to organize a power free for three staff from head office, one of whom was a new member. So he was attempting, he's a kindergarten teacher at a kindergarten attempting to organize a welcome because staff were coming from head office. Elliot said he said that sent a date for the power free, but was told it wasn't necessary as a power free for the staff member had already taken place on behalf of the organisation at its head office in Te Mutu. He attempted to explain the situation that, quote, she wasn't mana whenua, that she's coming onto Te Fara Toa kai Kawa whenua, and that it's appropriate for our families to meet whoever their children will be involved with. End quote. But the injustice of it all, wait for it, the indignity, the visit went ahead without a ceremony. So they traveled across from Te Awamutu into Kara. No palfrey at the kindergarten. So, in an email sent to Elliot two days after the visit in August from Central Kids Chief Executive Christine Hall, she stated that Poutaki staff had initially declined the visit due to Elliot being on leave, and I am unable to conduct the power it. So the three staff can't visit because Mr Elliot is on leave and can't do the welcome. But then, I'm reading from the article again, plans were changed at the last minute, quote, because the same opportunity for three Kamahai to visit Poutaki would not occur again and the centre was identified as, quote, a priority service. So they went ahead. Quote, Central Kids is one entity, and Power Free is part of what we do when appointing new kamai to any role in head office. Being geographically spread out, our new kamai are welcomed as part of the whole organisation by a representative group, the email read. And then she goes on to say, this is the chief executive, says, Tekanga must be contextualised to the situation. And in this situation, Elliot was on leave, but the mahi must continue. It is important for all team members to step into maniki and build confidence to are we new people entering the service. So they said, we've still got to work and we only had this one opportunity to visit. It's a priority service, suggesting there might be some difficulty there. And so we went ahead and visited in Kaura without a special welcome because we'd done a sort of generic welcome at head office. Uh, Hall goes on to say that she was concerned about, quote, a closed culture within Piataki and, quote, a lack of transparency and potential engagement in central kid systems, policies, procedures, and processes. Mm. So she's worried about it. Maybe that's why it's a priority service. Now, then the teacher, Mr. Elliott, said he was then notified two weeks later of a complaint and that a preliminary inquiry would take place into the issue. He was told the inquiry would also look into an early morning phone call he placed to the staff member to discuss a change of date, but admits the call, quote, Became hostile. So there's more to the story. Mr. Elliot got upset about there not being a power free, not changing the date, and made what he accepted was a hostile phone call to someone. He said he was shocked and overwhelmed by the letter. So he's upset because three staff members came to visit the kindergarten without him performing a special welcome. And he's upset because. They're upset because he made a hostile phone call to a staff member early in the morning. But it's day early morning. Yeah, early, early morning phone call. Quote This is Mr. Elliot. It was quite a stressful eight weeks because I was unsure what was happening. I was supported by my colleagues that I worked with, but because of the environment and the drastic change that was noticed by our families, I decided to hand my notice in. Come on, man. You're a man, toughen up, don't have hurty feelings, you're a protector, not a victim. Oh my goodness, how embarrassing is that? He's a grown man, and he's upset because a powerful didn't take place, and He was hostile, and then he got a rude letter written to him. Or not a rude letter, a letter that offended him. That would be a better way of putting it. But when receiving the initial letter and being told the complaint had been dropped, Elliot said he felt stressed over the matter, quote, because every time someone from head office would come, I thought it might be to address a complaint that was laid against me, but it wasn't. Since his resignation, Elliot said four of his colleagues followed suit and support. Well, it might be a good thing because it sounds like that kindergarten was proving problematic. I recall when I was briefly Associate Minister of Education, I'd go and visit schools, and you'd have an hour. And I kid you not, sometimes the power free would take half that time. And it was formulaic. Same thing. The kids would be bored witless, doing it. No one on my team could understand what the heck was going on. You'd have to take some local Maori to pay their respects, I assume the Ministry of Education was having them on the payroll. And no actual work of a minister visiting a school could get done because 50% of your time was eaten up by the formalities. And you would grew, grew to dread it. And also to get angry, because it was, what's the word, performative, formulaic, and not business-like. And clearly the kids were zoned out and switched off too. And what are we teaching? And then we have this grown man, a kindergarten teacher, who gets upset. Because someone's traveling from Te Alamudu to a kindergarten, preschool children, and not getting him, because he's the only one, I guess, qualified to perform a power free. Like it used to be, just welcome someone. Hi, how are you? My name's Rodney. What's yours? Welcome. No, he had to do this performance for cultural reasons. And because it didn't go ahead on a date that suited him, he makes a hostile phone call gets a complaint made against him, and then gets all bent out of shape. Once we were warriors, once we were men, once we were brave, once we stood up for things that mattered, once we didn't worry about having our feelings hurt, because we were men. You're on Radley Check Radio. It's Real Talk with Rodney Hyde. Send me a text, 2057, email me, inbox at rattleycheck.radio. And news does give us a big insight into the state of our nation and the state of some people and the state of big parts of our education system. And it's not encouraging. Thank you for listening.
0: This is Real Talk with Rodney Hyde. Tuesdays and Thursdays from 10 a.m. You're on Rally Check Radio.
1: It's Real Talk with Rodney Hyde. Oh, my favorite part of the show. It's Mailbag. Thank you so much for emailing me and texting me. It means such a lot. Uh, Remember, you can text me at 2057. Email me inbox at radleycheck.radio. Here we go. Thank you for your talks, Rodney. I enjoy your perspective. Well, thank you for that. Hi, Rodney. My mate has an organic farm in Russell. He's an interesting guy. If you want to chat with him to see if an interview would be suitable, his name is Kevin. Send me the details and I'll chat to him. I'd love it. Dear Rodney Hyde, thank you for your radio show on RCR. I've had a hard time with my local council, Tasman District Council. I have written every agency I know to and the council itself. Asking the question, is New Zealand a corporation listed on the London Stock Exchange, or even is New Zealand a corporation? And I've got everything back silenced, and then from the legal services department, I got, we refused to answer, we do not hold that information here, no helpfulness about it. If you want, write so and so, and I'm frustrated, how do I find out, and where do I look to see if New Zealand is indeed a corporation listed on the London Stock Exchange? Thank you. Sunshine Appleby, curious. Sunshine, we're not a corporation. Um, You could easily look at the London Stock Exchange uh, to see that. Um, I stand to be corrected, but I don't believe so. A great way of doing this, by the way, is simply to go to see your local MP and ask them to ask a written question of the Minister of Finance. Is is the New Zealand government a corporation or the country uh, corporation? And you'll get the answer through Parliament. I once had a man ask me whether the Reserve Bank uh, was who owned it. And he's very concerned about who owned the Reserve Bank. And so I put a written question in to the Minister of Finance, who was then Michael Cullen. And he came back with answer through Parliament, which was able to send this gentleman that indeed, as far as the government was concerned, it owned the Reserve Bank. Israel, Gaza. Hello again, Rodney. I've been waiting to hear an update from you regarding the war in Gaza and the West Bank since your interview three weeks ago with Dane Duro where you announced your full support for the Israeli response. I think it was a full support for Israel, but including the response would be fair to say. Uh, the death toll in Gaza has nearly doubled to 12,000, of which 5,000 are children. Some 25,000 have been wounded. More alarmingly, the UN is looking into evidence that the IDF has deliberately targeted the Gaza health system, which is near collapse. The result is that most of the wounded will die from their injuries since few, if any, can be evacuated into Egypt. Meanwhile, in the West Bank, some 200 have been killed by the IDF and nearly 3,000 detained in prisons all since October the 7th. And Hamas isn't even present in the West Bank. What will happen to the Palestinians? I could go on and on about the scale of human suffering. It troubles me day and night. That's why I'm asking that you and perhaps your guest, Dane, could again go on here and explain to people like me that Israel is indeed doing the right thing and why that is so. I'd like all this to sit as well with me as it appears to be with you. Hope to hear from you soon. God bless Mike. Mike, thank you. Um, none of us like killing. And none of us like children and women and innocence and indeed soldiers being killed. Hate it. I don't trust the numbers coming out of Gaza, and I don't trust the UN. So I guess that biases me. But it seems to me that um, the UN, as in respect of the Gaza Strip, is controlled by countries hostile, To Israel, which sounds conspiracy theorist, but if you look at the committees, uh, that's the makeup, and it's in the interests of the government or the Hamas to inflate the numbers. And but I'm not on the ground, and I'm not an expert, so I always say these things tentatively, and are happy to be proved wrong by the numbers. But I think it's clear that Hamas is using civilians to shield terrorists and hospitals, the hospital, to hide their headquarters. They're using human shields. And it would seem to me that the Israelis are going out of their way to get rid of Hamas while doing, desperately trying to protect the citizens, including providing corridors for them to escape, even while Hamas attacking the civilians. But of course, the first casualty of war is truth. And so I doubt my response it satisfies you. Um, so we need to have close scrutiny and keep channels open to get to the truth of what is actually happening. And um, this past little while, we've learned not to trust, quote, the news. But whenever I see the news coming out of uh, the Gaza Strip, I don't trust it that much. But, Mike, I appreciate your suggestion and questions, and I'll do my best to return the respect that you provide me. And I'd love to get someone on uh, for the side of Gaza. So if you know of anyone, please recommend them. Susie Wiles Reflection. Uh, 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 good morning, Rodney. Thank you. Miss Wiles is disrespecting every woman who has suffered real violence from ongoing abuse, whether physical or psychological, by her spurious claims against her employer for protection. Oh my goodness. It's true. I'm surprised the justice system is taking the case seriously. As a woman who advocates for women and girl victims of rape and incest and real abuse, I take great exception to the preciousness of Miss Wiles. We women get trolled, harassed, stalked, and assaulted for advocacy and daring to support each other in our court system. Miss Wiles should be labelled a pernicious litigator in her case thrown out. It is a terrible thing, isn't it, when you hear these women who suffer a trifling issue and make a drama out of it, while real victims of abuse go unnoticed or unreported or continue to suffer it. I hear you, Juliana, thank you for that. Wiles versus Auckland University. Oh, Rodney, this is a dose of fun mixed with a pinch of karma and a smidgen of told you so for both parties. But the regret is we do not have the newly minted Sir Bloomfield on the ropes also. How are we going to arrange that? From the delighted Helen. Thank you, Helen. I got so sad thinking about real abuse and how women suffer it day in and day out, unable to do anything or escape it. And these precious people jump up and down about being misgendered or not being taken seriously or well, look at me, you know, the Megan Markle's of this world. It was extra good to hear your commentary on Sookie Wiles, Rodney, as it is well past time. These liars and bullies were called out for what they are. Even children know that bullies are big sooks, and this is at present being played out in public between none other than highest academia in the land and someone once accorded the honour of New Zealander of the year. They just wreaked carnage on their image while all the good-hearted Kiwis get on with living fulsome lives in Hartley, New Zealand. Many thanks for all your good work, Janet. Thank you, Janet. That's so uh, wonderful. You're not the only one enjoying the unfolding of the Susie Wiles saga. For someone who's on camera saying, quote, I don't like to draw attention to myself, but her hair says it all. Uh, uh, hi, Rodney. I've just listened to your five minutes on, on RCR, a treaty referendum, and you're absolutely spot on. Uh, this current nonsense needs to stop now. It is obvious the more Maori get, the more they want. It's not rocket science to work out who built the roads, schools, universities, hospitals, library, and other critical infrastructure. It was, of course, New Zealand taxpayer, not Maori per se, as you would think was the case, given their ongoing claimed rights to the very special and exclusive treatment they have been getting under past Labour, Greens government. Just as if don't pay tax, yet they have very quick to claim subsidies during COVID with their various companies like Shotover Jet, Hilton Haulage, and the various fishing companies they own. Oh my goodness. It seems to me that it is grossly unfair that they don't pay tax when every other company does. As a result, they enjoy a 30% minimum cost advantage over all their competitors and the 5% minimum government product supply requirements that must be given to Maori. How could this be fair to the New Zealand tax bar, regards Trevor? Well, quite right, Trevor. It isn't a level playing field. And of course, they have a what's the word, a leg in on the Resource Management Act and every consent, so they can knock their competitors back and also get an advantage when they're going for a consent. I totally agree with you, Rodney. We need the principles of the treaty clarified. It's not difficult. There are only three articles, sovereignty, loyalty, protection for all. You're right on the money on the referendum, Rodney. I completed the compulsory Maori module as part of my CPD as a licensed real estate agent, which gave me some insight i would not previously been aware of and you are right about one side wanting it and the other side not. Grant. Yes, 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 Rodney, let's have a taste of democracy since it's been excluded from our political diet for too long. Referenda for the treaty principles, then referenda for so many other important issues. It works mighty well in Nordic nations that use referenda frequently. Rodney, just listen to Rally Check Radio and your commentary on the referendum. You're on point, point. I'm sure David Seymour and Winnie are not giving the great negotiator, a.k.a. Christopher Luxon, any wriggle room. I have sent all three of them an email in favour of the referendum. Luxon has not read the people of New Zealand. He is fixated on tax cuts when the real issue dividing our country is identity politics and the favouritism of Māori over other New Zealanders. We're fed up, Lance. Thank you, Lance. Hi, I've listened to the interview you did with Dr. Muir Newman about He poor and it made me very concerned about the future of New Zealand. As well, it should upset me. I am a teacher who has been working in education for 25 years. It worries me that the NCEA changes to English are going to further contribute to our declining results. I was in a meeting the other day when we were given resources to implement in 2024 that focus on bringing Mata Rangi Māori into everything that we do. I strongly believe that our teachers need professional development in the basics, grammar, spelling, punctuation, rather than cultural nonsense. As a teacher, I couldn't care less about boxing my students into a particular race or culture. I just want to connect with each and every one and to do my best to ensure that they have a great education. Teachers are silenced at the moment, yet many of us are concerned about the direction we're heading. I'm not sure what to do, Belinda. Well, thank you, Belinda. It must be extremely tough and disappointing for teachers. And it's so nice to hear from you from the inside and that you feel silenced and powerless like the rest of us. Whoa, it's scary. Wally, I enjoyed a recent interview by Rodney with Wally the Gardening Guru. I was especially excited to hear his tip about mothballs repelling whitefly from the glasshouse. However, I discovered they're no longer available to buy in New Zealand. The pheromone traps suggested in garden shops only attract moths, which is not what I'm wanting to do. Does Wally have another suggestion for repelling whitefly, Susan? He does. I'm trying to think what it is. It's just another name. I'll get to it next week. I'll uh, cover it. For an independent internet, have a look at Cortel. Q-O-R-T-A-L, Cortel. It needs more and more people joining for it to grow. I've enjoyed listening to your gardening man on just now. Thank you, John. Thanks, John. I just tuned in. This is the Devil Munro on the Scott Watson case. I just tuned in. My friend was on one of those boats Scott was rafted onto. I won't say which for her sake. Fact is, Scott was gone first thing the next morning. No one heard him leave the raft up. No one knows when and where Bear and Olivia were murdered. Scott made lewd comments to my friend. I asked my friend if she thought Scott did it, and she said, and I'll never forget this. I don't know, but if he didn't, he's one hell of a dodgy guy. Make of that what you will. Leaving early next day, repainting the boat, all seems pretty odd. However, let's go out and let him show us he's worthy of a second chance. Well, well spoken. And it's interesting, isn't it? Because you can make rude comments and be a bit dodgy, but not be guilty of murder. And it should be beyond reasonable doubt. Neville, you're a hero for trying to help Scott. This is just truly disgusting injustice. Shame again on the NZ police and the so-called justice system. Regards, Paul. Morning, Rodney. It sounds to me like the gangs ruling and threatening the police and their families. Cheers, Gavin. Free Scott Watson. He has to be free due to corruption. Unbelievable now the police could vet the jurors. They should free Scott. Great interview. Thanks. Hi, Rodney. Has anyone ever seen the name of the catch? Cheers, Martin. Yes, I believe they have. Hi, Rodney. Your interview with Neville Munro in regards to Scott Watson and the situation was fascinating. It was unbelievable when you listen to all of that actual evidence. Sounds very much like an incredible injustice has occurred to Scott Watson and to his family, but of course also the victims of Olivia and Ben and their families. It'd be great to see justice finally served. Thanks, Jackie. I was captivated by your interview with Neville Munro and his passionate advocacy for Scott Watson. I cannot believe it has been 25 years since he has been in prison and that he has been denied parole four times during this time. I remember clearly when Ben and Olivia disappeared as I was sea kayaking in the Marlborough Sounds during that same year, same New Year weekend. I also remember regretfully turning into our trusted MSM at the time to keep track of developments and my loyal belief in our authorities. I am wishing Neville Munro and his ally success and he continued support for Scott Watson, Shelley. Thank you, Shelley. It will mean a lot to Neville. Hi, Rodney. I listen to your shows a lot. You're a good value, so please keep up the good work. After having just listened to your review of the Scott Watson case, I felt compelled to make a comment, as I too feel that he was stitched up by the police, the press, and the shoddy court proceedings. A possible cause as to why they insisted on charging Scott, thus making him a scat goat is that they're obviously protecting the real perpetrator but after hearing your interview it also occurred to me that there's also a money trail to protect in light of the new evidence proposing an established gang being involved kind of makes sense really the police protecting their own backsides at a high level i look forward to hearing any updates as they come in the eventual clearing of scott watson's name kevin the frank and jose interview morning rodney absolutely love listening to your chat with frank and Gotta think I how to say the name. Jose. 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 Oh, I'm terrible. So informative and refreshing. It was great. Kind regards, Sarah. Have love listening to the Eco Farm talk couple. Brilliant. Oh, thank you for your comments. Please email me, inbox at rallycheck.radio. Text me 2057. I love it all. Uh, you're listening to Real Talk with Rodney Hyde on Reality Check Radio. Oh, what a show we've had. You're on Reality Check Radio, Real Talk with Rodney Hyde. How much have we loved that? Always love talking to Lindsay Mitchell, always like musing about the social changes that we've seen over our lifetimes and the sort of policies that have chicken and egg been part of it, reinforced it, added to it, and how we think differently to previous generations about, fundamental matters of society, such as husbands, wives, family, children. How good was it to learn about CB radios? And you sort of feel naked now, not having one, should something horrible go wrong. And that idea that you can't communicate, you can't find out uh, what's going on. And it's not that expensive to be hooked up. Uh, We will put this, uh, the link, the various links on our page, So you can find it um, and get yourself kitted out. Oh, I so want a radio. I want a CB radio. For emergencies, mind you, not just for boys having fun. And then Taka Peters. Oh, my goodness, what a story. To go from needing help, desperately needing help, receiving that help, and then giving it back in spades, but in giving it back, finding such a lot and gaining such a lot of reward. And when you first hear of it, you think of, oh, isn't that great, you know, stopping that food, going to the dump? Oh, isn't that great that you're giving meals to people? But that's not just what's happening. Of course, that's happening, but there's a bigger thing happening, isn't there? It's the people, interaction with the people. Not just those that you're helping, but then the people that will help you. And that's building a community. What a beautiful story. And what a beautiful heart. Tucker Peters. There you have it. There you have the show. Look forward to talking to you on Tuesday. Remember, send me a text, 2057. Email me, inbox at rallycheck.radio. Until then, be good. Stick together. Be uplifted.
0: You've been listening to Real Talk with Rodney Hyde on RCR Reality Chip Radio.